0: Podcast this week we talk truth with True thing star Ruth Wilson and we say fangs for the memories to Morbius star Matt Smith. All that and more on the movie
1: podcast at... Ow! What was that for? I just wanted to make sure you weren't going to do what I think you're going to do. Which is? Open with some hackneyed played out joke about Will Smith smacking Chris Rock.
0: Well for your information I wasn't. I oh really? Wasn't oh really? Was what about. was
1: your intro then? Show me what your intro was.
0: It um, it's not important what my intro was about. Anyway, hello pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week we are back in the studio, folks. Back in the studio, away from the tyranny of remote recording, and I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Geek Queen, a hell of a right hook, (laughs) Helen O'Hara. Hello. Uh, We're joined, of course, by our GB. Hello, James. Hello, James Dyer. Over here. Hello. Yes, podcast is happening right now. Hi, Chris. Hi, hi, James. How's it going? Good, good, good. How are you? Great big fucking nerve. There he is. Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for inquiring. Magnificent walk around him. Mm
1: -hmm. No.
0: (laughs) Don't do that. Uh, And last, but very much least, (laughs) we are joined, you know, like Halley's Comet, Mm. sightings of this man, happen once every 78 years and we are privileged, proud, honoured, delighted to be graced by his presence, which I didn't think was going to happen in a post-COVID world. But our man in LA is temporarily our man in NW1. Please welcome Empire's West Coast editor Jaime Blanco himself, James White.
2: Hello. Hello, Chris. Hello, everybody. It is so nice to be here. It is so nice to be anywhere, to be honest, after two years. Blanco,
0: seeing your face brought tears to my eyes. Uh, I didn't think I'd see you
2: alive again. (laughs) I'm sorry. Were you were you convinced I died somehow in the pandemic? I had paid a lot of money for, for you to be disposed of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you failed. <laughs> like like, who did they take out? James White is a fairly common name, <laughs> I guess. So, uh-oh. oh no,
1: the science fiction writer who used to live in my hometown. Yeah. Oh, no, I love his books. I've got hey, some great, bad but news. But He was
0: already dead, so that's oh, fine.
1: Oh, that's okay. You... Oh, was well, yeah.
0: he? Oh, this is yeah. taking a dark <laughs> turn very very quickly. Anyway, Blanco,
2: welcome. Uh, how have you been? Uh, you're usually in LA. I am. I am. I have been well, uh, you know, just just staying home a lot, at least until recently, which has been fine, I guess. I work from home, so that's not too bad. And yes, honestly, I've been in England for the last couple of weeks. And good gracious, does nobody wear a mask in this country? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I come from California. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yes, it's just lovely Haven't you to heard, be here,
0: frankly. As of tomorrow, the pandemic is over.
2: Oh, thank goodness. COVID
0: has lost. Mm. (gasps) Nobody has told COVID this, of course.
1: Don't don't look at the data. (laughs) Look at Boris Johnson's face.
0: Uh, But it's very exciting to have you here. What have you done in England? Where where have you been? Who have you seen?
2: What have you done? I have been been in the North Country uh, for the last couple of weeks visiting family. uh, Are you the
0: North Man of Robert Eggers' new movie?
2: I wish I looked like Alexander Skarsgård. Sadly, I look more like Bill Skarsgard? No, that's mean to Bill Skarsgard. I'm sorry, Bill Skarsgard. Oh, you're very hard. handsome Let's too. Oh, to you. You're handsome too, even when you're a demonic clown creature. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure what that says about me. Anyway, yes. Uh, that's what I have been doing. Visiting family and genuinely just going to Greg's and having a steak bake, because that's not a thing in California, and I miss it.
1: Oh, how have you survived? I
2: I shoulder I you know, I soldier through just just sheer force of will. Hashtag
1: strong, hashtag brave.
2: Yeah.
0: He's so strong. He is so brave. So uh, full of steak bake. However, <laughs> however, it is a delight to have you here um, and uh, especially to uh, interrupt your busy schedule of lurking in storm drains, trying to lure people <laughs> down there so you can rip their arms off. Uh, oh. So thank you so much. Well he just said it himself.
1: I mean, not really.
0: It was implied. Okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, Should we get on with the the show? Oh, God, let's. Should we do it? Yes. Let's have a listener question, shall we? Fabulous. And this listener question comes tinged with a little sadness, folks. And it comes from at Scotty underscore Bailey on Twitter. And he asks, with Bruce Willis Mm. stepping away from acting, what has been his best role? So this is the news, in case you haven't seen it, that it was announced yesterday after some rumors had begun to swirl recently that Bruce Willis is suffering from aphasia, which is a condition that can affect your uh, speech patterns and cognitive abilities. And that at the age of 67, he has decided to draw a line under his acting career, shall we say, and devote the rest of his life to battling this disease and spending time with his family. And it's very, very sad. Very sad news indeed, uh, obviously. Uh, It perhaps explains, we've often commented on the show Mm. uh, over the last few years about the way he was throwing himself into making lots of straight to video or straight to streaming, I guess, these Mm. days. uh, Movies of variable quality and and the the story was that he would turn up on set and for a a, a decent chunk of change that Bruce Willis, and he's not the only person who does it, there are lots of actors out there who make these movies, um, you know, would, a few scenes so you can put them in your movie put them above the title um and we were we were lamenting these films because they you know that some of them are okay some of them are all yeah. right most of them are not and we were lamenting this uh frequently on the podcast uh wondering why he was doing this uh and it now seems clear that he may well be doing this to together a fund, a retirement fund, or a fund perhaps to pay for medical bills and medical support uh, throughout the rest of his life. But those movies aside, he has had a phenomenal career. And you're talking, you know, we have a panel of people here who love Bruce Willis, yeah. grew up with Bruce Willis, not officially, uh, you know, we, we weren't he just threw us out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite frankly, every time he caught us in one of his houses, uh, which was frequent. Uh, but yeah, an amazing amazing actor bruce willis is a huge part of my childhood mm, same
1: yeah i think i mean when he's on when he's been on form he was just one of the great screen presences you know he just had so much charisma and uh, just such kind of style on screen and he could kind of do everything like it wasn't just the action movies that he's best known for you know he came to the fore in essentially a rom-com in Moonlighting, you know, um, things like Blind Date, you know, he had that kind of light comic side to him as well. He could do the kind of indie movies and the straight dramas. Um, he could kind of do a bit of everything, really.
3: Yeah, no, I I've, I mean, I love Bruce Willis and, and Die Hard for me, the answer to this question is obviously Die Hard and John McClane, that is, is the answer. But I mean, that's, but it's the original Die Hard John McClane and then Die Hard 3, but not the other Die Hards. But he did so many other things. Like I mean he I don't know how he felt about the Last Boy Scout. I know Shane Black wasn't overly fond with how it got made, but I love Joe Hallenbach. I love him and that you and I Chris quote him. Endlessly in the office from the Last Boy Scout, mm-hmm. um, so many things. You know, I loved him in in, in Fifth Element. I loved him in. Mm. There are so many films. I love Twelve Monkeys, another one mm-hmm. which is fantastic. He's fantastic Pulp that. Fiction, like so yeah. many kind of landmark roles that he's done. You know, even some of his lessons. I mean, I loved him in Armageddon for all its flaws. Mm-hmm. I love him. I love that film. There are so many things, and
4: Bruce. Willis, that's kind
1: of that's kind of like classic Bruce Willis. Yeah, movie, like yeah. you know, stoic, um, funny in a kind of. Dry, rye kind of way. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a million miles from John McClane that.
3: No, it's not. But he but plays it so when well. But he plays them very differently. Like, even his understated roles, like one of my all time favourite roles with him is David Dunn in Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. talks about Sixth Sense. I've long maintained that Unbreakable is a vastly superior film. Um, and he's just, it's such a beautifully nuanced sort of delicate sort of emotional vulnerable yeah. and yet invulnerable performance and it's it's magnificent. Yeah. He's so good in that.
1: He's also really good in something like Death Becomes Her at the complete yeah. other end yeah. of the spectrum, like yeah. really over the top, really out there. Um even something like Was it Breakfast of Champions? What was it Breakfast is that right? Yeah. yeah. Breakfast of yeah. Champions Breakfast yeah. of Champions, Champion, which yeah. I saw years and years ago. And I don't remember much about the film, but I remember being slightly like, whoa, that's mm. different for Bruce Willis. Amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah,
2: but I mean, and even with you know, James was saying about about Unbreakable and the Sixth Sense. I, in the Sixth Sense, it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. What what Shyamalan got him to do was basically hollow himself out and just be this 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 sort of this force of pain and and grief and and still able to connect with Haley Joel Osment and do all of that stuff and to absolutely sell that character. Yeah. You fully believed he was that man, that X man, as it turns out, but spoiler alert but uh yeah it's uh, it's it's just a fantastic performance it's an amazing performance and it was just such a wonderful role for him it was again another shift from almost anything he'd done before mm. it, even but even then die hard showed off that he, he was basically a new form of of action star he combined the vulnerability of that ordinary guy and humor and everything else that even in the face of, of studios who didn't believe in him and people that didn't want to cast him and movie posters that were sort of changed because they didn't think his face would sell on focus groups, he just blew past all of that and became an icon in yeah. one role.
1: Mm. I feel like he was a bit of a, he always reminded me, like if you're comparing him to classic stars from other eras than his own, mm. of which he is one of the classic stars, I feel like he was a bit of a Bogart, you know, not classically mm. Beautiful, handsome kind of way, handsome-looking guy, obviously, but not like oh my god, you know, Gary Cooper, Gregory Peck, handsome, but just had so much charisma. Had this kind of weird, vulnerable, tough. Not mix. Gene Kelly, right? Hey, look, really <laughs> handsome dude. Anyway, but he had that mix of vulnerability and toughness. He had that mix of smartness and, you know, relatability. You know, he, he, yeah. could, he could walk a very, very fine line.
3: And especially existing in an era that he did when you had your Stallones and you had your yeah. Schwarzeneggers, these larger-than-life characters, and he was the relatable one. He was the everyman. Uh, but, but, you know, it's been, and we have talked about this, and as Chris said, it makes a lot of sense now, that the last good film he did really, if we're honest... I'm saying probably Looper, which was 2012. That was ten years ago. Oh,
1: he's good in Motherless Brooklyn. Mm, mm,
3: sure, okay, he's fine. Cute. Maybe, maybe I'll give you that as well. But I mean, look, I've got time for. I mean, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed Split, but he's not really in it. I mean, he's mm. in it, but he's not really in it. And Glass, good. I was less yeah. fond of. Yeah. Um, but it's it's it has been this run of. I mean, what there's like ten of them. These straight to video kind of.
0: Oh, there's more than 10.
3: I mean, there's a lot. He did a lot of yeah. these films. And at the time, it just felt a little bit like... And Nick Cage talks about this recently when he talked about how when he does a lot of these straight-to-video films, like he gives them 100%. No matter what this film is, no matter how straight-to-video it is, Cage sees something in the character and every one of those things and he gives it his absolute all. And some of them are amandy and they're great and some of them are very much not. But it felt like And again, like Bruce, it did not feel that with these stories. It Mm. did feel very much like it was a paycheck, he turned up, he did his lines and he went home. Um, And it it, it was a shame that that had become his legacy. Weirdly, like this actually now making sense of it makes it feel, well, more tragic and less tragic, but for different
0: reasons. Yeah, Yeah. you can can take all these movies and And, and write them off. Exactly. Because we understand now
3: why they exist and they don't cast that same shadow over his career.
0: You're absolutely right about Motherless Brooklyn. He's fantastic in that. And... You know, I think he clearly was still capable of being focused enough despite the aphasia when he was worth a director or a piece of material that really engaged him. Mm-hmm. And Ed, Edward Norton on uh, Motherless Brooklyn did so. He's really good in that film. I, mm-hmm. I love that film. Go and check it out if you haven't already seen it. Um, you know, he's good in glass uh, looking back uh, over the last 10, 15 years or so of his career. Um, but for me, it's it's. I'd say most of the usual suspects would be in in the running for best Bruce Willis performance. Like, yeah, like James and uh, like Helen and Blanco. I'm sure. Yeah. Die Hard oh, yeah. obviously yeah. is the is the pinnacle. It is the Nakatomi Plaza right there in the skyline. It is it is unbeatable in many ways. Unbreakable, and he, unbeatable and unbreakable. Uh, what he brought to John McClane. Uh, I don't think anyone else, like you keep hearing all the people who were in the running for John McClane of people who Mm. were offered the role of John McClane, you know, some of whom would never have taken the role. Frank Sinatra, I think, was contractually offered Mm. the role because Mm. technically speaking, uh, that is a sequel to The Detective. Mm. He was never going to take it, obviously. But you look at some other people, Schwarzenegger was offered the role briefly at one point. Who else? There was some other people were... James Khan and people talked like to that. They pretty much everyone pretty much big around yeah, that era yeah. to see if they, and then yeah. ended up going with him. But it's absolute lightning at a bottle, and what yeah, he was doing yeah. on moon, Moonlighting, which was this sharp, suave, savvy,
4: fourth, Sexy. Sexy. Mm-hmm.
0: Speak for yourself.
4: <laughs>
0: I know he was. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, very, very cool, you know, fourth wall breaking type guy, David, on, on Moonlighting. Uh, and he brought elements of that to his movie stuff as well hudson hawk i think is closer to anything and i love hudson hawk as that you know. film
3: is a glorious failure i don't
0: i don't think it's I a love good so much film about it. but i, I love that is. they made it i
3: think it's such a big swing that film
0: is but it's not just a big swing it's like a, it's a big swing that happened swinging on a star. it's, a big, swinging on a, it's star. a big swing on a star it's a big swing on a star if you look at if you look at uh, bruce willis's filmography it is absolutely wild how quickly this guy became Probably the biggest movie star on the planet for a short time. Yeah, for a short time, his career is fascinating to me. It really is. Uh, I do want to do a Bruce Willis episode of the ranking. By the way, uh, uh, you know, spoiler: Die Hard wins as tribute to him. <laughs> I think <laughs> spoiler: Die Hard wins, but I think the top ten might be interesting. Hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. How, can you
0: say that though? Because Pulp Fiction's in contention. Mm. I'd still put Die
1: Hard. Hard. If team, we're talking,
3: especially if we're talking yeah, Bruce Dying Willis, Willis performances, yeah. I'd still 100. percent Oh well, no, the
1: performance might, you know, mess some people up. People might think, well, that means dramatic, darling.
0: Dramatic, <laughs> darling. Dramatic. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> by the way, I am very much, and I may be alone in this, but I'm of the school of thought that he should have been nominated for an Oscar for Twelve Monkeys, and he's, he's so good in yeah. that. He's yeah. so good in, he so so good in he that. Should he that. should yeah. have have won. For but 12 I'm also not
1: mad that Pitt got an Oscar nomination for that. Yeah, but Pitt's a showier, flashy, showier. Mm. good flashy performance is it's not good, just
0: flash. the thing he does with the eye the great. thing he does with the eye crazy yeah yeah, brilliant yeah. anyway but that but, scene and it was, yeah. I saw it on Twitter today but the scene that I always remember from 12 Monkeys is when Fats Domino's my uh, blueberry hill comes on the radio mm. and and Bruce's character uh, Cole leans forward and goes play lad and his eyes fill with tears as he hears a song he, he heard as a kid growing up and it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of acting and of course that's we've said this in the podcast before but that's the film which you know he'd already shaved his head for stuff before, but Terry Gilliam persuaded him to shave his head again because he was still at that at that period where I'm struggling to come to terms with right now, where you're desperately holding on to what you got and you don't want to, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, kind of thing. And you know, Jimbo, you've you've made your peace with I'm this a long time i have long past ago. that point. <laughs> and you know, he shaved his head for for Twelve Monkeys, and Terry Gilliam famously said. Bruce Willis's head is a monument to cranial architecture, and it is is one of the most perfect bald heads mm-hmm. you will ever see. But just for, just to talk about his career and how strange it was, mm-hmm. because he was so many things. He was a bartender. He was a working class guy from from uh, from New Jersey, and uh, you know one of his very first roles. You can see him in the Verdict. So yeah, he's in yeah. the verdict, which is now forty years old, and he's uncredited quite rightly because he doesn't have any lines of dialogue. Mm. Uh, but he's in the courtroom; he's he's there alongside Tobin Bell, who's also uncredited mm. in go. that scene, uh, watching the, the the final trial. But Moonlighting hit big for yeah, him; did, turned yeah. him into a big big star. Um, and then he did Blind Date and Sunsets. So he did two comedies straight off the bat, uh, both with Blake Edwards. And then he did Die Hard. And and here's the thing that always surprises me about Die Hard. is that they paid him five million, which I believe was a record back then. And it's like, this is a guy who is just a TV show and a very popular and successful popular TV one, show. Yeah. And two relative flops because Blind Date and Sunset didn't hit critically or commercially. And even so, somehow, Fox were persuaded to stump up $5 million in cash for this guy who had no background, no track record as an action hero whatsoever. Best $5 million they may be oh ever God, spent. Yeah. Uh, having said that, this is a studio that obviously funded Star Wars, but
4: <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> but it ain't bad. And, and gave away the sequel and merchandising rights. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's so a Die Hard hits and Die Hard's a big hit, but Die Hard is not the biggest film of that year. And yet within two years, he's making Die Hard 2, which is the most expensive movie ever made at that time. Mm-hmm. It was very, very quickly outstripped by Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. And then within a, a year of that, again, after having some flops under his belt, like the bonfire of the Vanities and Mortal Thoughts, he persuades, I can't remember which studios, I think it might be Warner Brothers, to bankroll Hudson Hawk, mm-hmm. which is one of the biggest, most insane, bonkers fantasy projects. I'm so glad it exists. And I don't think the making of it was fun for anybody, <laughs> from my understanding. But that's wild. And then that kind of... Then there's The Last Boy Scout, and then there's Death Becomes, where he's already playing against type. Mm-hmm. Then there's a whole bunch of other kind of flops, like Color of Night, if you pause it just right, you can see his penis. Uh, north, in which he plays the Easter Bunny, kind of. Yeah, that of. A great
1: film. Yeah, that, also, that, that messes up Rob Reiner's perfect run, which it's a very yeah. upsetting film yeah. all around.
0: But I would say his strongest run for me, is that mid-90s run where you go from Pulp Fiction, where he's already kind of being reinvented and rediscovered yeah, yeah. and Quentin Tarantino rehabilitation home for, mm-hmm. for fading stars. Already, just like a few years after Die Hard made him a huge star. So he comes into Pulp Fiction, then he does Nobody's Fool. Has anyone seen Nobody's Fool? It's a beautiful film. Paul Newman.
1: Oh yes, I have, but study. years and years yeah. ago. But yes, yes. Uh,
0: great performance, a very, very supporting role for, for Bruce. Then he does Die Hard with the Vengeance. Second cool. best Die Hard film. Yep. Then he does Twelve Monkeys, Brilliant. shows up in four rooms. The really you know fun mm-hmm. segment in four rooms. Then he does Walter Hill's Last Man Standing. Then he does The Fifth Element, oh, and that that run element. that run is yeah. just really solid. I mean, he he could do everything. He could do the wisecracking action hero with the with the smirk and the eyebrow and the one liners, but he could also do tamped down and stoic yeah. as we see in. Six Sense and Unbreakable and films like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, what a talent! I, I love him so much. Yeah.
1: I, I think you find it very difficult to be a star. I, I read uh, Demi Moore's autobiography uh, last year, or the year before, and I don't know. Time has no meaning, and um, and and it is kind of fascinating because she talks about their career. You know, she contrasts their career. She talks about the two of them kind of struggling with fame and struggling with. Um, with the whole reality of their lives, and it, and it is really fascinating. I, you know, obviously she's an ex-wife. You may not take it all as gospel, but at the same time, it's a, it's a really interesting insight into what it was like to live through those times and, mm-hmm. and to go through all of that, those ups and downs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But look, we I think we all just wish him well and um, hope he's able to fight back against this. But um, but yeah,
4: mm-hmm. we love him. We
0: do indeed. We do indeed, and um, we can't let this segment go without mentioning two more Bruce Willis films uh, one is of course Moonrise Kingdom
4: yes
1: of
0: yeah. he's fantastic in that he is fantastic in Looper Jimbo as you, as you quite rightly pointed out both of those came out in 2012 uh, and I either didn't know this or overlooked it but he was the executive producer on Steve Irwin's film Crocodile Hunter Collision Course
2: wow and I want
0: to <laughs> know what happened there <laughs> for which I interviewed Steve Irwin
1: oh well done
0: yeah Anyway, yes, indeed. Very, very sad news about Bruce Willis's retirement, and we wish him all the best. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt, and you can slide into my DMs if you wish, or you can take a leaf out of, what's the person's name? Scotty Bailey, and just ask me a question. Uh, Or you can reply to one of my panicked shout outs every now and again. All right, should we have a guest? Let's do it. Oh, I should say, first of all, because I remember I promised in last week's show we would have Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke and May Kalamawi from Moon Knight, which is now out on Disney+. Plus. First episode is out on Disney+. Yes, yeah,
5: that's right. Yeah, it's really good stuff. I really do like the first episode. <laughs> well,
2: Once again, listeners, we are very, very sorry.
1: I can't tell the difference between my spoiler pod and this and one. And the regular podcast. <laughs> Or yeah. indeed the Pilot TV podcast, yeah. we had a bit
3: of this as well. Yeah, In fact, Christ. with you. With no, you. I,
1: I know it isn't that, because I'm on it, so. No.
3: Oh. <laughs> oh. Shots fired, <laughs> oh. which is not true of Chris, of course, because this yeah. week's Pilot TV podcast, where I say Netflix, next week because it, it drops TV. on Tuesday, yeah. uh, it's going a day late. Tuesday? <laughs> Why? Yeah, Why Tuesday, are they because one of the shows is embargoed, so we've got to drop it a day later. So it's going on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, but uh, wow. our special guest is Chris Hewitt, none other than the Chris Hewitt, who comes on the Pilot TV podcast to crash the Moon Night segment and tell us all about the difference between his waking life and dreams. Waking life and dreams. Waking life,
6: waking life, waking
3: life. So if you can't get enough of him on here... God help you if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: you can find more of him on the. You'll put the platform. timestamp on so people can
3: avoid. Oh yeah, it, right? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. assuming I leave
0: any of you in there. But uh... <laughs> oh no, listen. <laughs> I could tell I was enhancing it. Yeah, yeah. You raised the tone considerably. Definitely. definitely. Uh, anyway, Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, and May Kalamawi are the stars of Moonlight. They. Are not on this week's episode, the more eagle-eared amongst you will have noticed, because uh, <laughs> I've taken that interview and I have put it into a very special Moon Knight interview special, uh, which went up on Wednesday just after the first episode aired. I also interviewed the show's lead director, Mohamed Diab, and that's a really interesting and fun interview also. Yes, I do Stephen Grant voice <laughs> to both Oscar Isaac and Mohamed Diab. What can I say? I'm utterly without shame. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, that is available for you to listen to right now. They're not in this week's podcast, but Ruth Wilson or Matt Smith are. In fact, and, because they're both on, but which one is going first? Ruth, Ruth Wilson, I was going to say
1: Matt first on the basis of let's keep him as far away from the Venom review as possible.
0: Venom review? Venom,
1: we should totally review. Well,
3: they're interchangeable, Chris. <laughs> they're pretty or, much there's not all much in or it. Or the Venom that will be in
0: the review.
1: Yeah, the Venom
3: go. of okay. the
0: review. Catch up! <laughs> We're
4: drunk, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, skinny dipping.
1: God, we're already so far off track. <laughs> hey, here's Matt Smith.
0: <laughs> Matt Smith. We all like Matt Smith. We do. We, yeah. we know him. He's in things. What's mm. he in? Doctor Morbius. Who? Mor- yes, he's in Morbius. Well done, James. Pride and Prejudice Wait. and Zombies. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice yes, and Zombies, we're yes. rolling out the hits here. <laughs> <Okay>. I said <laughs> Doctor yeah. Who first. Now, so, say, now say now say. Terminator <laughs> Genesis <laughs> to complete the tr- I, I don't <laughs> want to
4: <I> Don't make <laughs> me say the it The crown not is correct The crown
0: The crown, crown. Yeah. The the crown. crown. So Okay Let's focus good Let's accentuate the positive yeah. Eliminate the negative Latch, latch on, on to, to the, the affirmative, affirmative and, and don't, don't mess, mess with Mr. Mr. Inbetween. In-Between Right So He's in Doctor Who He was the Doctor, Doctor. But he was the Dalek
1: No Eleventh um, Doctor Eleventh <laughs>
3: Tenth
2: Doctor, eleventh Doctor. I mean, <laughs> I don't watch fucking Doctor Who. <laughs> oh really? Oh, we'd never know that.
1: You <laughs> oh, never mention it. All
0: well. right, he's in Doctor Who. He was the eleventh Doctor. Mm-hmm. He's in also James, many other things. Oh fucking hell!
3: Jesus he's in Christ the Crown. The just Crown. I don't
0: watch the Crown either. I mean, you, what
2: do you watch? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Where he was the first Prince Philip. Correct. Okay. Because and he's in first. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That's not what we want to
0: say. We want to say Last Night in Soho. Uh,
2: oh, he's oh in God, Last Night in Soho. Is he Last good Night in point. Soho? He's yeah. in Last Night in Soho. He is in Last Night. He's Blanco. very, very good in Last Night in Soho. There you go. There we go. So he's he, he's in all the good things.
0: Mm. Yeah. He is the lead villain in Morbius. Spoiler. Uh, which is finally out this week. It is the latest installment in Sony's attempt to spunk oh, the world. Oh, I just got
3: spunk in my eye. Hang on. <laughs> yep, carry on. I've got it out.
0: You all right? <laughs> got, just got a little spunk. Oh. Anyway, he's in Morbius. He plays Milo, who is the film's chief villain. Jared Leto, of course, plays Dr. Michael Morbius, who is a... World famous famous scientist (laughs) Mm -hmm. who, in an attempt to cure a blood condition that he has, decides to inject himself with, as far as I can see, vampire bats. Bats bumpk. Bats bumpk.
1: I I think it's a serum, but okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then he turns himself into a living vampire. Yeah. And so Milo, played by Matt Smith, Mm -hmm. the star of...
1: Pride and Prejudice and Zombies.
0: Okay, apparently. and um, <laughs> Doctor Who. Yes, and... Last Night in Soho. There we go. Uh, he, he says, you know what, I want a bit of that. So he, he has a bit of that. And so uh, a battle ensues between Milo and Morbius. I'll so be covering the whole part
3: is, of the is, is this a spoiler, spoiler I'm set, special? I'm something?
0: setting it up. I'm setting it up. Because this is stuff we talk about, me and Matt Smith. We, we talk about it. So here is me and Matt Smith talking about horror films and Dracula and all sorts of stuff. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the star of Morbius, Mr. Matt Smith. How the devil are you, sir?
5: Not too bad, mate. How are you? What new? It's uh, St. Patrick's Day. It's very, I've had a lovely walk this afternoon in the park and uh, was admiring everyone sat outside in the sun drinking Guinness.
0: That's all right. That's not too bad. It's what St. Patrick would have wanted. Quite frankly Yeah,
5: well I know. I mean, I—that's not what I was doing. I just thought, God, that looks fun. That looks a, a fun Thursday afternoon. So instead, that's what other people are doing. I'm going to go back yeah. to the the black void and talk about. Well, it's my... like being in a play. Yeah. Well, never no, that's all right. You know, I get to, like, you know, no, yeah. What old oh, tradition mean? Where I'm just a floating head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It's can it's say interesting. And people can't see. Obviously, this is a podcast. It's a it's an audio medium. But Matt is currently sat in front of. Oh I can't see we may have a picture that we can put out with this so they can see what you're what you're sitting in front of, but most people when they're doing a movie like this, you'll have like a big morbius poster or something behind you, something at least with you know a bit of bells and whistles.
5: I know usually they give they give me something, wouldn't they
0: yeah, no yeah.
5: I'm told they will be putting it in afterwards. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's not nice anyway, to us. Let's move on. <laughs> to my terrible background.
0: <laughs> this is the sort of thing I can get hung up on very, very quickly. Indeed. Yeah, uh, anyway,
5: why not what well, sounds good.
0: To... Uh, precisely. Let's uh, talk about Morbius, and, uh, and you play you play Lucian slash Milo. I mean, can we even talk about that? I don't even know if we can.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I mean, I you know, I'm I'm as in the dark as you are, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh Lucian Loxius Milo.
0: <laughs> so it, Milo is a nickname that is given to him by by Morbius yeah. early on, and the nickname sticks. And I'm a big nickname guy, Matt. I have, I don't know whether it's a pathological thing, but I cannot call. If I work with someone for more than like a week, I find that I yeah. can't call them by their actual given name. I have to come up with some bullshit nickname for them. And is that I think
5: something it's quite skilled that though? And also, it's a term of endearment. It is a term of endearment,
0: yeah. But are you a person who naturally attracts nicknames?
5: Well, well, yes, probably. Uh, Yes, I do, actually. Um, But I also, I, I, I give them out a lot. I mean, I've got some funny nicknames, odd ones that have really stuck years. Obviously, I've got kind of smithy. Well, let's do, what are your top three nicknames that people call you? People call me? Well, this is the yeah. thing. People
0: call me Chris, but here's the thing: my name is Chris Hewitt. So I grew up with people calling me
5: Chewitt. I didn't
0: like Chewitt, that. Matt. Right. I didn't like that. And no, I wonder.
4: <laughs> I
5: don't mind it. What about Hughie? Do, do you not get Hughie?
0: No, 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 I don't get anything. I get Christabel.
5: Is the <laughs> I Don't Christabel. get that.
0: I get Christabel. Christabel. I get Christoph. I get Chris. I get. Yeah but that's, yeah. that's it but Chewett I draw the line at but what about what about Matt Smith
5: I mean I get Smithy obviously um, <laughs> I get pit people call me pit P-I-T
0: why do they call you that
5: because I once had a really messy house and they used to call it the Smith pit and it stuck <laughs> Literally, this is like 12 years ago. People still call it me to this day. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, I get. Yeah, no, it's I, I mean, it's mainly Smithy, really, when I think about it. Smithy. Yeah. Matty, some people, but not many. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're naughty, did, um, did, did your parents call, call you your full name? Oh Christopher my. Hewitt, get down these stairs!
0: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I was, I, my, my. I don't think my mum ever called me Chris in her entire life. <laughs> I was oh, always Christopher. Yeah, Christabel, get down the stairs immediately. Uh, and <laughs> I, I presume with your parents, you and Matthew is a very much like Matthew. Um,
5: yeah, Matthew Robert Smith, get down these <laughs> stairs immediately. <laughs> Up down these stairs in five seconds your feet won't touch the ground yeah <laughs> sounds quite frightening that didn't it i mean it, it, never, it never got to that <laughs>
0: no of course of course so so whenever whenever doctor who happened that didn't come with a flood of
5: nicknames not really not i mean i guess from sort of people who watch the show they call you doctor that's not really a nickname is it that's a character name thrown at you but no not not there wasn't a sort of flood of new nicknames that come it's quite boring really it's just mm. Smithy.
0: Just Smithy. All right, well that's good. That's fine. Yeah, but, but you know, I
5: think kind of people call me that as much as they call me Matt in my friendship group.
0: Okay. That's fine. Yeah, Smithy is something we can work with. We can we can work with that. Yeah, okay, Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely.
5: Okay, and I I'm 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 rolling with Christabel I'm really keen on it. <laughs>
0: I sense I'm going to regret this over the next few weeks as <laughs> people call me Christabel on Twitter, but you know it's a cross we have to bear. Uh, but let's talk about let's talk about the role. Let's let's talk about the role itself because you are having an yeah. inordinate amount of fun. Research must be difficult for these things because there is not a lot of vampires around that I'm aware of. So, ha- well, ha- where do you start?
5: Yeah. Although, well, I am a sort of I'm a huge I wouldn't say aficionado, but I'd say the the genre of the vampiric film genre is is one of my favorites has all, has always been one of my favorites actually and and historically i've always gravitated towards vampire movies i love them i love i just love them i always have some of my favorite performances in film have been on them and 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 they're films that i return to all the time like interview with the vampire lost boys even like 30 days of night i've seen loads nosferato christopher lee as is amazing like Dracula's one of my favourite characters. I'd love to play him. I mean, you kind of have, in a way, with yeah, that. Well, some... I mean, sort of, well, that's, that was one of the great attractions actually, is to go and be something near it. But now, I mean, Dracula's in like all in black and all sort of Draculary.
4: Do you
5: know what I mean? <laughs> he has, yeah, he has an
0: aspect of Dracula in this about him. Yeah, yeah, you know, what with being Dracula. Yeah, I'm
5: not sure I'd get away with it, would I? If Dracula is sort of with Inspector Clouseau, maybe I'd have a chance.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Listen, everyone, you know, you know actors can play Hamlet. Actors can play Lear. Why can't, why can't you play Dracula? Why can't you do
5: that? Well, why not? Exactly. Although we've, we've seen a lot of Draculas, haven't we? Which we, is the best one, that's the question.
0: We have, but Matt, we'd also seen a lot of Doctor Whos, and then you came yeah, along. And, very true. You know, so you're no stranger to stepping into people's shoes or fangs in this case uh but 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 with this one this one you have you have a, a kind of clean slate because as you mentioned there he's based ish on a character from the comics but also is plowing new ground himself in this so did that give you carte blanche to kind of do what you wanted to do
5: i think so because they never sort of directed me to the comics if i'm honest with you and uh you know, my Bible was the script as I saw it, and 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 then I had a really great relationship with Daniel, and we and yeah, I, I sort of took it from there and tried to and tried to invent what I could um, from then on from this from this guy who, who was obviously had a, a quite a difficult upbringing because he's been afflicted with this very rare blood disease, has inherited an insubordinate amount of money, and, and mm. is desperately trying to find a cure with Michael Morbius as to how they can how, how how they can cure themselves, essentially, and and um yeah, so so I yeah I did sort of have carte blanche to have a go and 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 come up with, the version you know with Milo, which I hope I hope people enjoy. How
0: much does working with with Jared Leto kind of inform your performance in terms of what you're going to do? Hmm. Because he's an actor who. Famously, I would say. I mean, there's already been stories about how intense and committed he was on the set of Morbius. He's so he's an actor who famously turns up to eleven, shall we say? And so, does that yeah. again mean that you feel okay now?
5: I can do the same thing listen but my only dial is 11 so i was like you know no um yeah it does actually i mean i really liked it you don't meet him until the first day on set which is a bit nerve-wracking because you're like oh god we've got to have this sort of relationship and all that stuff and i've ne- never met you and the first scene we did was quite intense um and you know like he's he's obviously he stays when he's with the stick for part of the movie we've both got sticks and stuff like that and we're walking with limp, and he stays and that sort of stuff the whole time um and i found it really fascinating because i think it sets an energy that the the creative energy is really consistent that's what it is and that's all that it's about and i really tapped into that and found it quite liberating and and I found that I could challenge him actually, and no one else on the set really can. And it was so, it was because I was in character, you know, as well. Yeah. So I found it quite an enjoyable experience that that that, that was the tone that was set.
0: So, uh, how in character are you when you when you're on set of something like this? How is is Smithy gone replaced by Milo?
5: Yeah, kind of actually. Around him, yeah, I I I, I kind of did the same thing, and um tried to um, try to engage in a similar type of process as much as I could because it felt I felt it quite entertaining. I mean, you know, it's different to his process, obviously, but to all intents and purposes, yes, I think so. I guess what's interesting is is sometimes you you know, one you wonder if a movie like that requires that type of acting. That's what's is quite interesting, I think, because it's you don't necessarily associate that type of acting with that type of big blockbuster movie. Do you? I mean, I don't anyway, maybe I'm wrong thinking that, but I found it, I just found it all very entertaining and, and enjoyed, enjoyed the process thoroughly as a result of it.
0: It's about the, the, the hoops that you jump through for a movie like this, the you know, physically. Uh, I imagine there are a lot of moments when Morbius and Milo are, talking to each other, there's dialogue scenes where it's just basically just two actors and the, the process is the same as it would be on any movie of any size. Then there are fight scenes and things like that where I imagine you're strapped into stuff and you have contraptions and harnesses and all sorts of things yeah. going on. And that must be tricky to keep focus and to keep sight of the technique in, in situations yeah.
5: like that. Yeah, what's good about that stuff is that A lot of those harnesses and straps and fangs and claws and that that does a lot of the acting for you do you know what i mean it's like uh, if you're uh, like sometimes yeah it's like but yeah it's sort of it does a lot of the acting for you it's like being on a fairground ride you just get on and let it and and it's sort of you know you're on the roller coaster that does its job and that's the momentum of the thing so you're just going with it and um Again, it's all it's 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 quite useful that stuff. It's like a wind machine. It's great <laughs> acting with it. It's like a, it's having an element or a rain machine. Do you know what I mean? An element gives you a thing. It gives you an obstacle that is all it's just there that you can act against. So you're not in your own head trying to figure it out.
0: What about things like prosthetics? Because if I'm right, how how much of it was actual prosthetics in this movie, and how much of it is a, is a CG makeover?
5: bit of both actually. So all the, all the sort of thin stuff on the face at the start of the movie, every day it was like, you know, your, 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 your cheekbones and stuff around your face. And then they do all these little different layers on your fingers and your hands. And it was a good couple of hours in makeup, but then a lot of the other stuff, the monstery stuff, as you might call it, was all done with just dots on the face and they take that print on the day and then a couple of months later, when the movie's finished, you go into a big padded cell, put a helmet on with a, what is an antenna and a camera pointing back at you. This yeah. is what we're reduced to. And then loads of different cameras around you. And then they capture your monster acting, which is essentially a lot of, you know, different faces, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> growling, etc. A lot of snarling. But you're having to lay that over the image that you've already done. It's all very technical, like power to the guys that think about it. It's a,
0: yeah. Process. It's, it's wild. It is wild. And uh, did you have, then, in that case, you know, you're playing a vampire. Did you have yeah. the fangs in the mouth?
5: No, I never got the fangs. Oh, I never man. got the mouth fang thing. But I don't know that we hugely have fangs in this movie. Do we? It's not, it's not, it's not that fangy. It's, it's, do we see it's, them? It's fairly
0: fangy, I would
5: say. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose when it, oh, God, with the monster thing. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that was part of the CG bit. They, they were never practical. I'd love, I, I would have loved some practical fangs. I should have asked for them.
0: <laughs> you should have done, because, you know, that's the thing. It's like, it's a Christopher Lee thing. If you're playing Dracula, which, which hopefully will happen now, hopefully we can make that, that manifest. Oh, but, one day. you know, you got, the, you got the fangs in. Would Christopher Lee have wanted CG fangs? I, I, I don't know. Would that have changed his performance? Not.
5: Absolutely not. I don't know how you top Christopher Lee, though. It's kind of Gary Oldman. Where do you go from there? Where do you go from They're there? That's I mean, so good. Gary Oldman, that film's amazing. The Coppola films, that's an absolute belter.
0: But, but Matt, have you, uh, have you seen Jerry Butler play Dracula in Dracula 2000?
5: No, I haven't. What's that like?
0: Terrible. But.
5: <laughs> but he's good.
0: He's in the movie, but I think it's important for you to see it. <laughs>
5: OK, all right. Well, I will.
0: I will. Because <laughs> it sounds to me like you're a Dracula
5: completist. I am. I am. I'm, I'm, look, any tips on any other Dracula movies? What there has been... I, I watched... Um, obviously, I watched Stephen Moffat's BBC show, which I thought was great. He was good. Um, uh, yeah, so any sort of Dracula tips, please send my way. You're not vampired out then? No, no. I can... More and more vampire movies, please. And zombie movies I've got really into of late really okay which ones uh well i would never done all like the dawn of the Dead, and all those sort of like kind of what's his name from from like the sort of 70s onwards basically
0: yeah george a list
5: of a thousand movies it's it's online i would recommend it from edgar wright and you can sort of go through the different from the 30s 40s 50s 60s he he's, he's taking he's having a big laugh by the way at this but it's true. Cool. And on it, so then I just started picking off loads of his zombie flicks on there, and I got really into them. Um, Amazing. And a couple of his Dracula ones as well. It was lockdown. I just would go through his list. And I like, I'd, I'd never seen Chinatown. You'd I'd never, never seen, seen Chinatown? China. No, no, now I have. Okay. But my God, I watched Body Heat. What a great film that is. Phenomenal film. There's a so. great 80s section, guys. Go for it.
0: It's all there. It's all there. Well, listen, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm no Edgar when it comes to recommending films, but uh, I've got to recommend one, just one as I'm leaving you now. Uh, it's not oh. a Dracula film, but it is a vampire yeah. film. Have you seen the original
5: okay. Fright Night? Yes, I have actually. Oh, no, I haven't seen the original Fright Night. I've seen, you know, I started watching it and I realised having seen the, because it starts in a bedroom, doesn't it? Yeah. It start. they're in a bedroom and it's, it's almost like a shot for shot remake. Am I right in thinking that? Which seemed like it was remake the second book, yes. Colin Farrell one.
0: Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Which is I'm quite right. a good movie, actually.
0: Yeah, well, no, you, you, you're, no you're it's right. fine. It's fine. But uh, you know, watch the original. I'm in love with the original. Fright Night. What can I say?
5: Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. I will do that.
0: I, I recommend that. that. That is your homework, Smithy. That is your homework. For,
5: for, <laughs> yeah. For all this right. Interview. Thank you, Christopher Bell. <laughs> Thank you very much. And then you know, just 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 quickly. I mean, yeah. I I know you're leaving, but this is a nice interview. Um. I, you know, I've, I'm, I'm moving as well into a similar period of horror movies. Yeah. That sort of seventies, eighties, nineties horror, which I, I'd always been like, I'd never, I'd, I'd never seen Halloween. What great film that is.
0: Matt Smith, you're you're dropping bombs all over the place here. I can't deal with this.
5: (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. People people, like the Empire listeners are turning in their graves at this, aren't (laughs) they? But I've seen a lot of films. (laughs) I <laughs> turn into graves. What have you done? I'm <laughs> keeping it vampire based.
4: <laughs>
0: Amazing stuff. Well, I, I have to let you go. Next time, next time we chat, we'll compare notes. We'll see where we are, and we'll have a more, right, we'll have, yeah, we'll have more vampire deal, stuff. Deal, deal, deal. Matt Smithy Smith, absolute pleasure. Thank you.
5: Yeah, it's good to see you, man.
0: Okay, so that was Matt Smith. We will be talking about Morbius later in the show.
5: Woo-hoo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right time now to talk about this week's movie news I don't think anything of note happened this week so let's move swiftly <laughs> on to news
1: oh boy yeah.
0: wow okay shall we talk about the elephant in the boom boom shake the room <laughs> 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 oh god tick
1: tick tick, tick. there's boom. that joke yeah yeah
0: uh, uh, the Oscars happened
1: the Oscars happened yeah. and uh they happened upon Chris Rock in particular. Um, they
0: happened. Yeah. They <laughs> happened to Chris so, Rock. I've never so seen Oscar happen to someone before.
3: Was Will Smith that Denny Villeneuve had not been nominated for best director that <laughs> he right got up saying. and registered his displeasure in the only way he knew how? <laughs> and I'm I'm here for it.
1: I I, I know. Yeah. No. Um. Yes. It was, it was a very weird, very weird Oscars. Uh huh. Um. Did
0: anything happen of any <laughs> note?
1: And the thing that was most weird about it is that Chris Rock told a not good joke about uh, Jada Pinkett Smith um, who has uh, sh- a shaven head at the moment. She looks fantastic. She looked a lot better than James with it. And hey, um, James looks pretty good
0: with
3: it. What yeah, no, he like looks unprovoked. Like, I know,
1: but come on. He's <laughs> not Jada Pinkett wow. Smith.
3: wow. Is he? She just, just <laughs> come straight for me. Anyway. I know, Yeah. So,
1: so anyway, so she was just looking amazing, but he made a joke comparing her to G.I. Jane. Um, Will Smith took exception to this.
0: Well, you should say that she
1: has alopecia. We should yes. say. Well, I was going to lead up to that, but yes. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so Will Smith took exception to this uh, on the basis that he felt it was, you know, making fun of her condition, which is alopecia, which leads to hair loss and which is part of the reason that she has shaved her head. And um, stepped up on stage and slapped Chris Rock the across the face. The shit out the of face. him. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and genuinely, nobody was sure, is this a bit? Is this a comedy sketch that they're somehow doing? And then Will Smith sat back down in the audience and shouted at Chris Rock to get my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Oh, twice. He's showed it (laughs) twice. And... It 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 was not a bit. I think I feel very confident in saying this was not.
3: But crucially, we didn't know that at the time because no, they cut not. the audio feed, mm. so you didn't hear him shout from the audience in at this all, country. and you were just like, what's happening? It's only yeah, you could
1: read his lips. Also. Yeah,
3: and then they they were well, because the cameras on on Rock at the time, so you weren't quite sure. You saw Rock responding to it, but then obviously they showed you the footage where it was uncensored in other countries, mm. so it very quickly made its way on social media. But it was all a bit like, is this a bit? Because reading the live blog that that Ben and Sophie did, they weren't
0: sure what was going on.
4: Mm. Yeah. And
3: And they were a little, and then you went straight into the best documentary. So they kind of moved
0: on. What's becoming abundantly clear, Mm. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, is that it wasn't a bit. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I gathered that. If it was was a bit, it's Andy (laughs) Kaufman-esque. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
4: I
3: mean,
0: they are really committed. They really are. Mm. Um, Uh, Because uh, there's been an awful lot of fallout from from this. It's just insane
3: that this thing happened. Mm. But it's also a bit depressing. And it's a bit sad that this happened. But I can understand all sides. Like, I, I don't condone violence. I don't think Will Smith obviously should have done it. But I understand if his wife's got a medical, medical condition, it's something she's talked about on her show. It's something that she's very sensitive about, something that caused her a great deal of pain. And he saw Chris Rock making fun of that condition. And it wasn't, uh, he didn't think it through. It wasn't a strategic response. It was an emotional response born from sort of, I guess, a kind of a good place. You see where it came from. Chris Rock, on the other hand, did he know she had alopecia? Did he just think we he was making know. a bald gag? We don't we know. We don't know. If the former, that was a shitty thing to do. If the latter, it just, you know, wasn't a particularly funny joke. But again, it, 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 he couldn't possibly have seen that coming. But just the, the fact that this guy went up and slapped him on stage... It felt to me a little bit like a metaphor for modern life, a little bit, where we're living in this kind of post-Trump world where norms and rules don't apply, where Russia invades Ukraine. Like, it felt to me like this is everything that's wrong with the world at the moment and I just don't fucking need this from the Oscars.
1: The takeaway for me is more that, like, Will Smith has been working towards this for at least 25 years.
3: The Oscar, not the slap. The Oscar. Right.
1: <laughs> and that win is now going to be tied to this yes. moment. For yeah. the rest of ever.
3: Every time he looks at that Oscar, he'll be like, shit.
1: A little yeah. bit. And I feel bad for him for that. and And at the same time, you know, I read his autobiography recently, which is fantastic, by the way. It's a really good book. Um, Can't wait for
0: the revised edition.
1: <laughs> and the, no, but like, there, but there's a couple of themes that run through that 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 really do seem to tie into this moment. I mean, I, I hate to be a pop psychologist about this, but one of the big things that runs through the book is this idea that he he felt like a coward for most of his life. He felt like he had not stood up enough to his dad growing up. That his his brother and sister had found ways. To deal with their dad's occasional violence, and he all he did was people please and try to avoid anybody getting violent, and and that made him feel like a coward. And then another thing going through the book is the w- many ways that he felt like he'd he'd fallen short as a husband and as a father, but particularly as a husband to Jada, and that he had held her back in ways that he now regretted. And I feel like maybe both of those things came into play a little bit in the way that he reacted, and he sort of you know was was kind of fueled by both of those things in his reaction and. And, you know, that would certainly seem to tie in with some of the stuff he said in his speech about being a protector and about trying to stand up for those he loves and doing crazy things. That's a quote as, as a result. Mm. But, and, and so I do feel for him as well, Is this is not in any way to condemn him. I, I think Chris Rock did not have a good night, even apart from this, by the way, when he announced Best Documentary afterwards, mm-hmm. he said, this goes to, you know, Amir Quest, Love Thompson and the f- other four white guys. Now, first of all, there were three of them and second of all, one of them was was Joseph Patel, who's, I believe, Southeast Asian. You know, dude, do better. You know, you have all the money and time in the world. You have all the help and researchers in the world. This was not even the first time he told that joke about that documentary. Someone could have corrected him on it in the meantime, or he could have just looked at the list of names right in front of him. So, you know, he did not have a great night either. Nobody covered themselves in glory. And
0: I mean, it's a G.I. Jane joke. That was bad. as a 1997
1: joke. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a it's an I old thought reference. He
0: dealt with being slapped quite well.
3: He
1: did. He mm. did recover well. Yeah, uh, but I just you know it's it it just wasn't a great night. It was a very weird weird moment and I think that's why no one in the Oscar crowd knew how to react no one the Academy didn't know the the people who make decisions were apparently scattered around the theatre so there was no sort of central committee to figure out what the hell do we do I don't think there are systems in place for this they don't they don't have a reaction ready for this well
2: it's, it's kind of interesting how the academy has since sort of come out mm. and responded because they said obviously this goes against all of our regulations and all of our our expectations and they were saying you know or oh, we asked him to leave after it happened they asked will smith to leave now i don't know how that went through did they ask his publicist did they do it quietly because everyone on twitter has jumped on them and sort of said well how did you ask him? Yeah. he didn't leave obviously you knew he was going to pick up the best actor Oscar or you expected him to pick up the best actor Oscar yeah, in the next few minutes so I mean they didn't know for certain of course yeah. but it was looking that way it was looking that way and and it's, it's just interesting how they're now sort of trying to say well you know we tried to do this and there's no there's no evidence that, that they tried to do that it's all PR damage happened. control though yeah. isn't it they're oh, trying spin, to yeah.
3: look like they were doing the right yeah. thing
1: yeah
0: it is absolutely wild. But yes, there, are, there were other winners mm. on the night. Um,
3: and the and most- big
1: winner was, of course...
0: Coda, the
3: film oh, that we no, gave three Jesus. stars to. <laughs> Jesus James, I
4: said it up for you. I know. I it was set June.
3: It up for you. It's just that it still hurts, Helen. It was hurts it that Denis was, was, was denied. He was. Denis denied. was denied. Denis denied. And I <laughs> denied Villeneuve. <laughs> yes, denied Villeneuve. Uh, which is shocking. And I think we should boycott the Oscars for not nominating. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But but don't we worry. will
1: not go next year. <laughs> Absolutely there you go, which says it. it. I'm not going. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many times they invite me. I'm Unless we're invited, in which case we will.
0: Best podcast might be a category next year because quite frankly. They, they let anything be category <laughs> yeah. these days best, I was about to say. Osc- what's the best fan favorite Oscar fan
1: favorite Oscar fan cheer, favorite cheer, cheer moment cheer oh moment
4: which of so course was
0: the, the Flash
3: does his what was it speed force Barry enters the speed force what does that even and then
0: mean? yells at them because they're singing karaoke too loud uh, I think that as well <laughs> <laughs> what that moment was—that
3: no, is—I mean, talk about Oscar's fucking darkest hour. Surely this is the the lowest they've ever. Do you ever know stood.
1: what? God bless them. That particular fandom went out and they voted because they needed something. And they have that something nice, so well done. You know what? I'm, to not, that I'm not
3: even. I'm not even upset with the Snyder Bros. Because Snyder Bros. Gonna Snyder Bro. Yeah. But the Oscars were like, let's. the Oscars were like, let's let's try this thing with this this, this interweb thing. Let's have a, Let's have a little vote on the in the interweb. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And then that's sort of why Boris Johnson is part of the academy. I'm not sure. But but, but like. I mean, guys, seriously, if you ask for votes and you ask for the top five and every single one of them is the same thing and it's a thousand votes in sequence, I don't know, think of maybe screening that shit out, like, because I kind of feel like they were just swamped by Snyderbots. No, no, James. No, they they bots. no, no, no. I don't think they were
1: bots. Really? No, I don't think they were bots. Really? I just think they were passionate fandom.
0: Very passionate fan base. Are they, though? Yeah. Who, who, no one can argue with the sheer majesty of... <sighs> <laughs> Barry enters the speed force <laughs> which not, was certainly news to the speed it's not force It's not even
3: the best moment in that film
0: <laughs> Yeah, listen um, the, the, you can cripple with a lot of the Oscars on the night um, and, and I would say pretty much every winner on the night is destined to become some sort of pub quiz question <laughs> because no one will remember the ceremony <laughs> for anything other than Barry entering the speed force Yeah. Oh, and the, the slap thing Yeah. But mainly, mainly that uh, Coda, for example One Best Picture. And I would argue, and you might think this is ungenerous, but I would argue that Coda was going to become a pub quiz question anyway. What won the Best Picture Oscar in 2022?
1: Um, Honestly, I think it's one of these, it's going to be a difficult one because I feel like On one hand, it's a big coup for Apple TV. On the other hand... Those
0: plucky underdogs.
3: Yeah,
1: but like a lot of people don't have Apple TV and, you
3: know... The eight people who have Apple TV Plus really enjoyed it. Yeah, um,
1: so I wonder if they will actually do a physical release just to... um, you know, get people excited about it. I don't know. It, it's does that defeat? I, the no, I think it's
3: great. To be honest, it's And I, I have said this. lot. Apple TV Plus is fucking brilliant. Uh, they've got so much good stuff on there. They well, just they, they just don't have a lot of stuff. Yes,
1: all the stuff they have is good. They yeah, just don't. They don't have very don't much have of, very much it. of yeah. it, but
3: it's a, a very high
4: quality.
1: Yeah, but it's um, um, but yeah. Look, Coda is good. I, I'm I'm trying to resist the backlash. Um, it's a lovely film. It's a lovely film. We gave it three stars. I, I have the feeling. <laughs> like I, I have the urge to enter the backlash just because i so disagree with the, no, the idea it, of it No, into the speed force. Sorry, so <laughs> close. Um because i so disagree with it being named best picture. But yeah, at the same time, but at the same time i appreciate it as a film. It's a mm. lovely film. You know, it shows us a community that is wildly underrepresented on screen and and it, you know, there've definitely been some quibbles raised about its representation of that community within the community itself. But you know, at least they're on screen. At least it's actually deaf actors playing deaf characters, which is which is a believe it or not, in twenty twenty two, a step forward. So you know, there are many many good things about that film. It's absolutely not better than three or four other films on that list. No. <laughs> but I'm trying not to be mad about Or even this. close. No, of course not. You know. well, it's
3: better than West Side Story. But other than that... Oh, <laughs> oh no. I have
1: got No, you know, one of us is this fucking hell, room. No. I'm not having it. I'm Take
0: that film's it. name out of your fucking mouth.
1: <laughs> Take that fucking film's name out of your mouth. I'm not no. having it. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, no. that's better. Dune is better. Power of the Dog is better. Belfast is slightly better. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I feel like there's there's a better, better option. Belfast is from. better. Belfast, Belfast is much better. Is better. And Belfast I'm not
0: just saying that because of home field advantage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> it's a much better film. It's, it is good. Also, by the way, best animation. Come on. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Where,
3: come was on, on.
2: Mitchells? Where
1: was Where Mitchells? Where was Mitchells?
2: Justice for Mitchells.
1: Justice for Mitchells.
2: And uh, by the same token of talking of sort of cutting people short and, and doing these sorts of things, what was it with... I'm sorry you put best editing and cinematography and various score. and score and and the and the shorts in a separate category section where you 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 record it at the start of the show when there's barely anyone in the theater and then you try and bodge it into the main show I'm sorry you could have cut at least three or four rubbish rambling skits or yep. bits you did that. Dreadful Encanto Bruno performance we need to celebrate that wasn't Oscar. very good. Yeah, we, and we need to celebrate Bond. I mean, do we?
1: Do though? we? Th- this was a longer ceremony than last year,
2: which handed out all the awards. And
1: let's yep. not
0: forget, of course, the Governors Awards, the yes. Honorary Academy Awards, yep. which was you know, <sighs> which the footage which was all over Twitter. Down to Washington presenting Samuel L. Jackson with his Honorary Academy Award. Elaine May getting King one May. as well. Liv Ullman. Danny Glover, and none of this was broadcast.
1: It's This is the thing. I think that the they keep messing with the Oscar format every year. They're like, oh, we're losing, we're hemorrhaging viewers. We must find a way to appeal to absolutely every person in the country. And could maybe, we get the biggest
0: movie star in the world to slap
4: the world's <laughs> comedian?
1: genuinely what they should be doing is first of all trying to celebrate movies to make moviegoers happy and trust that having the biggest stars in Hollywood there will you know do something And like they need to sort this out because all these endless unfunny skits and some of the I have to say some of the presenting was actually quite funny I thought Regina Hall actually did a really good job she was very very fun but so many of the bits are laboured. Um, they actually managed to insult the entire medium of animation when introducing the best animation category. Did you, did you, are you aware of this? They said something along the lines of animation is something that uh, kids enjoy and adults endure.
3: Yeah. I mean, in my case, probably true. But, yes, but uh, you're a
1: joyless husk uh, <laughs> of a man.
3: <laughs> also true. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, it's it's, it, but like genuinely, you did not make a better Oscar ceremony by insulting a a large swathe of the filmmaking population, and that is what they did.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're not bad, Helen. They're just drawn that way. Ugh. I mean, honestly, find a way to include more human moments, like the mm-hmm. Lady Gaga. Liza That's Minnelli all, moment, yeah. it, which, where she's it's whispering off mic, you know, I got you. I know because because Liza Minnelli, obviously she's not in the best of, of form these days, but it was beautiful. Mm. I mean, honestly, you have more genuine human stuff like that and people will want to watch it. Unless you're a, you know, a terrible husk like James and you just hate humanity. But mm. apart from that, yeah. Fair. All right. Okay. So we've, uh, we've spent quite a lot of time in the Oscars. Yeah. More than I had a budget
0: for. <laughs> um, uh, we haven't really talked about the winners so I'm just real quick. Best original song. Okay, can we Phew! talk about this? Oh, can yeah, we talk yeah, about we this? Yeah,
1: yeah. Best original song, yeah.
0: Because the Oscars have done it again. Screwed the category, up. they fuck up more than any other category. Historically, mm. they've done it again. No time to die from No Time to Die. Bond songs used to be never nominated and they used to never win, obviously, because mm-hmm. you can't win if you're not nominated. I've discovered that after I was turned away from last year's Oscars. <laughs> uh, and... But this is clearly, we've just fallen into a sort of a lazy rut, which is, oh, Bond song, let's give the Bond song the yeah. Oscar. Adele deserved it, Sam Smith did not, and neither did Billy uh, Eilish and her brother. I, yes.
1: I think, I think there, was a, there was obviously a turn against the um, Encanto song. Dos Orugitas, by the way, is beautiful and should have landed um, Lenny Manny his EGOT, um but there's no justice in this cruel cruel world. Um, if he doesn't anyway, win for
0: Mary Poppins returns, then he's not going to win for anything, is he? He
1: will win, but I mean it'll have to wait till next year with the little mermaid. Um but you know, I think they were punishing that song for not being Bruno to an extent. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> no, no, no. Um yeah. I don't think I think you know, Beyoncé God bless her, she keeps turning up and performing for the Oscars and they keep um, snubbing her in return. Um but it's not the most memorable song that she's written. Um, so uh, you know, I guess it was just going to be Bond.
0: Best adapted screenplay: Coda uh, beat Drive My Car, Dune, The Lost Daughter, and The Power of Madness. the
3: Dog. I mean,
1: look, come on! I mean, Dune is literally unfilmable. Uh-huh. People. Are you kidding? The
3: unfilmable me? novel got filmed brilliantly, yeah. and and they gave it to Coda. Maybe they, you know what? Maybe they're doing which is
0: lovely, but fine.
1: Maybe they're doing Return of the King, James. Maybe think, they're, fa- they're saving all the yeah. big awards for part two. The okay. fucking
0: be. uh, maybe they were punishing it for only having eight jokes instead of nine. <laughs> Best Original <laughs> Screenplay Belfast Kenneth Branagh finally won uh, an, hey. this is his actual speaking voice uh, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh won an Oscar finally at the 437th time of asking
1: oh no <laughs> did you know that he is the first person to be nominated in seven different categories I do
0: know that yeah because
1: mm-hmm. it was widely reported on Monday but talked anyway talked about it on the, um,
0: thing whenever the thing yeah.
1: happened it's, we, good. it's yeah. good good Good. news well done him. him yeah, yeah
0: good uh, it beats Don't Look Up King Richard Licorice Pizza and the worst person in the world, James. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Best Supporting Actor, and which Troy Kotzer won ahead of Kieran Hines, <laughs> Jesse Plans.
3: I, I, I Mark me wildly unshocked. I mean, he was always going to win this. It wasn't even in discussion, yeah, no, was he, it? Let alone had, debate. So
1: he won okay. everything through award yeah. season. That said, I'm he's fantastic. Fantastic. I, I, fantastic. Yeah, and I, 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 I absolutely. I want to be very clear. I absolutely mm. don't begrudge him. He's a he's a yeah. fantastic performance in that film. He also seems like a smart and an eloquent man. But I was a little bit of me was hoping for a Kieran Hines upset right, yeah. because I just think he's wonderful as well. So he
0: was my he was my second
1: choice yeah, for he's, this. He's but great.
3: I thought Troy Cotter would win it, so I'm fine with it.
0: Best supporting actress, Ariana DeBoe is one for I mean, a West Side Story yeah, as Anita. Ditto, and yeah. I don't think even James can <laughs> argue with that. She was she was a bright, shining star don't in an stop otherwise
3: there! Stop there stop and there, depressing stop expanse there. of never-ending tedium.
0: <laughs> Best actress. Yes, Jessica uh, Chastain for the Three Five
4: Five.
3: I mean, Three Five Five a less tedious film than the Eyes of Tammy Faye. That said, she is very, very good in Tammy Faye, and I never, I've never dissed that film. I think she's fantastic in it. Mm. I just think the film is very boring.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. I
1: think, I think that's it. It's a, it's a much better performance than a film. Yeah. Um. I mean, she, you know, she's a great actress. This is what the third or fourth time she's been nominated. She's mm. been consistently good across her career. So I in no way wish to, you know. Um, begrudge her the award that said I think Penelope Cruz is the best performance out of those five Fire away um, <laughs> <laughs> for Parallel Mothers so I would have kind of liked to see her go, get away with that one
0: mm-hmm. Best actor was Will Smith and even if he hadn't won would you have argued with him?
4: <laughs> so, 100% no <laughs> so,
0: But he did win uh, So ahead of Javier Bardem Benedict Cumberbatch Andrew Garfield and Denzel Washington
1: yeah, that, that's a that's a field of heavyweights right there. Um, but I think I think that's probably the. I think Cumberbatch was the only other one that I, th- I thought might creep in and, and upset the mm. the, the apple cart there. But um,
0: the momentum was with Will Smith. Very much at, so. At the yeah. End.
1: yeah. Best Director, Jane
0: bullshit, Campion. Bullshit!
4: <laughs> all bullshit! This is a
0: bullshit category full of bullshit. This fucking woman comes from here, <laughs> fucking wins the fucking Best Director
3: Hundred percent
1: um, Sam Elliott admired Jane Campion a lot. Yeah, secretly secretly said he secretly, he trip.
3: was like, Denis was denied. Very much enjoyed it. was denied. Of Jane um,
1: uh, it remind me of the other Western, no. nominees.
3: Not a Western. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the world except Denis Villeneuve was nominated for this.
0: <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, not the best Anderson, not a fucking Anderson. Whoa. And this guy, Vernon Rising, is the best Anderson. And Steven Spielberg for best Anderson. <laughs> okay. Sorry, what was that? Don't, us, don't right? even start with me. I'm, I'm serious. I've had it up to here. You drink the fucking name of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you drink the name of your room. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, uh, <laughs> everyone knows
1: my opinion on Steven Spielberg and <laughs> West Side Story in
0: Sam, Sam Elliott going through all the
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Power of the Dog, not a Western. Belfast, not a Western. Grab <laughs> my car, not a Western. Liquor Pizza, not a Western. West Side Story, not a Western. We were the goddamn Westerns in this goddamn category. That's, <laughs> that's <laughs> so fair. fair.
1: Anyway... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know my my feelings on Steven Spielberg and what's oh, really, but, <laughs> do but do it's really hard. It's really hard to to cavil with Jane Campion, so I won't.
0: Except but. Denis Villeneuve should have won it for Dune.
1: I would not Dune. have objected to that either.
0: All right, okay, and then Coda won as well. So yes. there we go. The Oscars is done. Hooray! We put that away. Very good. Whew. Did anything else happen this week in the world of movie news? I mean,
4: yeah.
1: There was a Top Gun trailer. Yay, yay, but that came out in nineteen eighty six. At
0: least seven Top Gun there was trailers a Top already. Top Gun
1: Maverick trailer. I'm pretty actually, sure Top
0: Gun Maverick came out in 1996. Yeah. 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 That was the original <laughs> plan anyway. Yeah,
1: it look, I, I I liked it. I thought it gave us a bit more of an idea. It seems to suggest that Glenn Powell is kind of a you know, slight iceman of this film, which I'm excited about. Um I, I I'm not sure about <sighs> Him as uh, Goose's son. I don't think he's worthy.
0: Him has a name. Him, and Miles it is Teller. Speedometer.
1: Okay. Um
0: <laughs> sorry, Miles Teller.
1: Yeah, Miles Teller. But um <laughs> I, I don't think he's worthy of playing Goose's son, but I'm willing to allow it, I guess. Whatever.
2: Yeah, but I I'm sorry. We we, we 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 can't discuss anyone else being Iceman when there is actual Iceman. There well, is a, Iceman a picture in the, yeah, the Iceman of him
1: cometh in the uh, if you will. In in, in, in
2: portrait form at least. <laughs> and he's referenced, and he's an admiral. And all, all of that, that is be. good. Yeah. But it's fun. It was it was it was very nostalgic. You know, you had the you had the Fultemeier, you know, the Dongs uh, to begin with it, and that just gets my heart going mm, because yeah, I watch Top Gun every weekend for an entire summer. I'm not saying I like the film I just I, I love the film anyway <laughs> uh, yeah it was just it, it really and it and it got you a bit more of the story mm-hmm. and you kind of saw more of the stuff and it had Tom Cruise being like good morning aviators and then like flying between people and scaring the poop
1: out of them and, and it's everything you really want from a Top Gun movie
4: yeah
0: not a western
1: <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in the west it involves mavericks it's practically a western back on board <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, there was also some other bits and pieces of news. In fairness, um, Sharon Stone is back in the DC universe uh, to play the villain Victoria Cord in Blue Beetle. Now, I think we all remember her last <laughs> villain role, which was, of course, yes. in Catwoman.
3: Yeah, yes.
1: But having said that, like it wasn't her fault.
3: Where she played not Catwoman.
1: Correct. Mm. She played the baddie in a DC film. You see, mm. um, no
0: one remembers the character's
1: name. <laughs> Nobody remembers her name.
0: No one um, remembers the name.
1: But yeah, this is this is a new character created for the film. Um, but there was a Ted Cord in the Blue Beetle comics, mm. who's a previous Blue Beetle. So presumably, there's some kind of link there. So we don't right. know much about her at the moment. But you know, that's exciting. She's cool. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, also happening, uh, John Carney is back. He's going to be doing a BG's biopic.
2: Oh, the Once guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. That's yeah. good. It's good. It's the, it's the one that Kenneth Branagh was going to direct. He was attached to direct previously last year, but Belfast and other things got in the way of his schedule and everything. So, But honestly, John is a fantastic choice. He's a man mm. who brings music to the screen with joy and love and everything, and who honestly better to do a Bee Gees biopic? It's Absolutely. a great choice.
1: If you haven't seen One Sensing Street, correct that immediately. Indeed. Uh, there was also a tiny tidbit of Marvel news because we need something to <laughs> yeah. keep us going, um, and that was the, um, the the fact that Anthony Ramos, who is in Ironheart, yes, uh, let slip that um, Ryan Coogler is involved in some way. Whoa! We don't know in what way. He just said uh, it's in, it's incredible people. Uh, Chinnaka Hodge who's the head writer Ryan Coogler and just like a dope squad you know Dominic <laughs> Thorne and I just feel blessed and grateful I so,
0: hope that's the name of the superhero team
1: <laughs>
4: dope squad
0: <laughs> dope squad
1: I think that would be yeah
0: that'd be amazing mm. okay a little bit of Marvel news there I'm going to continue the Marvel love in now by uh, talking about the deleted scene from the Batman that Matt Reeves put up the other day uh, that finally gave us our first look at unseen Arkham Prisoners and so now I guess he's seen Arkham prisoner, uh, and he, of course, is the Joker, and it is Barry Keoghan's... Shifty Barry. Shifty Barry. He is the Joker in this, and we got to see him in this scene, it was deleted, and I actually feel that they co- maybe could have left it in, although it was a confrontation in Arkham between Batman, who has clearly put the Joker there, he's caught him previously and put him there, and he's quite a young Joker, younger by you know most standards, I would guess, and they have a, a scene. And I think it actually would have fit nicely in the movie with the exception of it felt a little bit like many scenes we've seen in the past where mm. the hero who has incarcerated the bad guy goes to ask the bad guy and pick the brains and then the bad guy goes,
2: ooh, ooh. I'm so crazy. I'm so crazy. Yeah.
0: Like you wonder how I could possibly function as a supervillain. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: What do we make of it?
1: Um, I'll be honest, I, I kind of lost track of it halfway through and stop watching so i didn't love it but um but it was interesting (laughs)
0: anti-anti-joker
1: no it's not like i'm not anti all jokers i'm anti that good thing
0: to do you should be anti-joker
3: i mean i'm
1: anti okay yeah Yeah. like i don't agree with any of their political You're not pro
0: joker
3: i'm not pro joker Mm. that's not
1: my platform either but like i do not hate all on-screen portrayals of the joker
0: if the joker entered the speed force you'd be like no
1: that is I mean, that would be bad for everyone. <laughs> bad. I think like that I don't feel like I'm being controversial in no, saying that. That would absolutely. not be a good thing. All right. Yeah.
0: Anyone okay. else? What do you guys make of it? No? Yes? Yay? No? Did
2: you see it? It was yeah, it was it was fun in a sort of silence of the lambs kind of way. It was interesting. I would have liked to have seen that dynamic evolve, and maybe we will at some point if even despite Matt Reeves probably saying, Oh, he might not show up in the sequel. Eh, probably he will we'll see I mean mm. I, I thought I thought I thought Shifty Barry did a very good job with what he did I thought it was an interesting take that sort of blended a bit of Ledger a bit of Nicholson a bit of a few other things and yeah I, I'd, I'd be up for seeing more of that I, I can see why he cut it out honestly just in terms of pacing and, and not needing to revisit everything that we were going through with the Riddler anyway so yeah I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was alright uh, two real quick bits of other movie news to talk about
0: Uh, One dropped just as we were pressing record on this show, uh, if you cast your mind back to early March. uh, And it is that Obi Wan Kenobi, the new show on Disney Plus, has had its release date delayed (laughs) by two days. Oh. Oh, So, uh, it is now going to premiere on May 27th, be with you, instead of May 25th, be with you. And this is
3: exclusively so that we don't have a a spoiler special pileup, just for us.
0: I don't know, because they're saying that the first two episodes are now going to drop on Friday, May 27th. Mm -hmm. So, I hope we don't have any plans for that evening. I think we will be busy that day, Jimbo, doing Mystery Thing, but... He make it sound a lot more exciting it's really it not is. exciting it's yeah all things considered i'd rather be recording uh, a spoiler special about obi-wan kenobi and yep. we will be Obi-Wan somehow kenobi Obi-Wan. obi-wan kenobi obi-wan kenobi, <laughs> <laughs> <Obi-Wan> kenobi.
4: <laughs> not <Another> a western
0: <laughs> not a western space western no i quite like that <laughs> jesus sam leave uh anyway yes so this is exciting first two episodes then whether it goes back to the wednesday release schedule i don't know because then you'll have to miss marvel pile up oh, mm. i don't know. No. Oh, ah. oh, World's Smallest Violin oh, no, we have to watch movies and oh, TV shows for a living Terrible, <laughs> terrible I'm melting, I'm melting But uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting Anyway, that Obi-Wan Kenobi's gone back by a whole two days uh, Hopefully they can use those two days to really finish it and finesse it uh, very, very nicely The last thing I wanted to talk about this week is very, very sad news which is, uh, and it is film related um, oh, yeah. Tater Hawkins yeah. the drummer of Foo Fighters Passed away last week at the age of 50, very, very suddenly, very shockingly and very unexpectedly and of course he had just become a movie star in the Foo Fighters really likeable Studio 666, mm. which opened last month we gave three stars to and uh, You know, I just I worship the Foo Fighters as I think I made clear last month when I talked about them in Cecily and uh, interviewed Dave Grohl both for the magazine and for the podcast as well. Never had the pleasure of interviewing Tedder Hawkins, but everyone I know who has, Mm -hmm. who crossed his paths or or came into his orbit said he was an amazing, amazing person, bright and sunny and optimistic and just really laid back and funny and interested in people, but also one of the great rock and roll drummers of all time and uh, very, very sad news indeed.
1: He's in that really good uh, drumming uh, documentary on Netflix, the name of which I have helpfully forgotten.
0: The Fred Armisen one. Is it? I think so.
1: Okay. (laughs) Look, I watched it. I didn't read its bio. Anyway, it was good. And he was very, very charming in it. And he just seemed like a totally cool dude. Yeah. So yeah, really sad news.
0: Very charming indeed. I I was in St. Andrews at the weekend uh, because I was interviewing Joe Russo because they launched the Sands Film Festival, which is the name they've given the St. Andrews Uh, International Film Festival, uh, up in Scotland, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. And uh, I found out the news on Saturday morning, as we we all did. And uh, I walked along the beach, uh, the beautiful West Sands Beach in St. Andrews, where they filmed the beach running scene in Jari ah, Safari, yes, and, yeah. uh, and this gorgeous, gorgeous beach in St Andrews just by the old course uh, and listened to Foo Fighters, this really beautiful setting whilst I was listening to some of the, you know, <laughs> well not angry music, because I don't think the Foo Fighters is angry music, but a, you know, driving rock uh, and, and poured one out metaphorically for Taylor Hawkins. Uh, phenomenal talent and he will be sadly missed. All right, should we have our second and final guest? Let's do it. Uh, Ruth Wilson. Yeah. Returning to the podcast. I think she was last in the podcast for a live show a couple of years ago, one of her ones we did at King's Place. Uh, And uh, she's back this week in the drama True Things, in which she stars alongside Tom Burke and is directed by Harry Woodliffe. Uh, We'll be talking about it later on in the show. But she spoke to Amon Warman. I believe it was Amon did this. I haven't heard the interview back yet. Uh, But again, all reports are it went well. So here we go, I'm on Warman talking to Ruth Wilson.
6: Do please enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star and producer of True Things, Ruth Wilson. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Very good, very good. All the better for talking to you. Congratulations on the film. I loved your performance. Let's talk about the film, because I know that uh, you've had uh, this in your life for a while, because it's based on Deborah K. Davies' novel, The Truth: the True Things About Me, and you optioned the book all the way back in 2013. What was it about the book that struck with you and clearly stayed with you?
7: Yeah, it was a long time ago now. (laughs) Um, But at that time, I I was doing a play with Jude Law, and we were doing a play called Anna Christie. And he was being sent lots of material. His production company was being sent books. And this book landed on his lap, and he was like, Ruth, can you read it? I think there's something in it, but I'm not sure. It's a very female centric story. Have a read. And I read it, and I thought, actually, I haven't read anything like this before. And this was pre. I May Destroy You. It was pre uh, bag. It was pre kind of really subjective uh, female lens or stories from a female lens and about sort of messy women, basically, or complicated, interesting, you know, messy women. And what I loved about the book was that it was forensic in its kind of um, observation of that kind of interesting time in a relationship, the initial throes of infatuation, and the obsessive quality of that. Um, It felt really relevant. It felt like I, or resonant, it felt like I'd been there. I'd been both Blonde and Kate. And I loved the humor in the book. I thought that she was very dry and had a very cynical and honest eye on the world, actually, even though she was still kind of victim of the world and the will and it's will. So I thought there's a really complex character in there that was really and fun character that was interesting to play. And the subject matter interested me. And I just also felt it was again, we hadn't seen such a subjective lens or female lens on that story before. Jude and I bought the rights to the book after that conversation. And then uh Jude and his partner, his Producing partner Ben Jackson, we all produced it together.
6: So I know that you said previously that your favourite part of the process is preparation. And obviously you've been working on other things in the last eight years. But did you ever return to True Things and think about how you might placate before the director signed on?
7: Yeah, I think when you read a book, you're like, oh, I kind of, I kind of like this character. I'm interested in exploring that side of, of performance or what I could do with that. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I wasn't really being offered those sort of roles. I was, I remember I was kind of being offered in film, certainly mothers with crying babies, you know, <laughs> and I was like, I can't play any more mothers with crying <laughs> So this kind of role really uh, appealed to me. It was sort of a messy woman in her late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, and I said, like, it was really detailed and complex and uh, forensic about that experience. And so uh, that's what appealed to me and why I wanted to pursue it. And then with Harry, Harry came onto the project probably after about three years. And with her, we were really anecdoting about, we sat for ages kind of working out who this person was, anecdoting about our own experiences, about friends' experiences. Um, and she also, Harry observed me and would be writing bits of Kate around me, um, mm. which was quite interesting. I think that this performance is more me than I've ever been before on screen. <laughs> which is a little bit worrying, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
6: I'm curious. What what were some of the things that Harry would notice and input into the film? I
7: don't know. I, I've always thought of myself a little bit shy. Weirdly, even though people might not see that in a public version of myself, but uh, there's a shy side to me and there's a sort of, which I think Kate has. Um, and But there's also a kind of inner quirk <laughs> and inner clown and that's also me. And I don't think that's also seen on the screen much with my performances. So, I mean, I bring it out every now and then, you know, Alice Morgan has a bit of a clown, and But really, there's a little bit of that in Kate. And I think um, she sort of observed that in me, that there's a sort of vulnerability and lightness to me that you don't often see in some of my performances. Um so she started kind of putting that into the character. It, it exists on the page anyway, but she started sort of writing a bit more of that in there or or following my lead and why that might
6: be. So I know that also part of your process in the past has been that you would have a workbook for your characters. Did you have one for Kate? And if so, what what was in the workbook? What, what, what went into it?
7: Yeah, I did a bit. I did a bit of drawing, actually, because uh, Kate, I always believed that Kate was actually... Um, Bit of an artist, or that her backstory was that she had an artistic bent and maybe gone to art school but hadn't really made anything out of that or hadn't followed her passion and so was kind of a passenger in her own life you know, was just existing and doing what her friends do and but not really being excited by it and, um, or not even driving those choices in some way and not feeling like she's driving them and so. I can't draw. I've never drawn in my life. I can't paint. I I literally have a, I I just embarrassed about even me putting pen to paper is awful. So I, a friend of mine called Pearl and a friend of Harry's, another actress, actually, she came around and she taught me how to draw. And so, Hmm. and just to breathe free hand with it, just to kind of play and doodle. And, and so my workbook ended up being a lot of that actually. Um, I, my workbooks are kind of, they're, They're going a bit to the wayside. (laughs) They used to be really like extensive and they've sort of gone a bit loose. I sort of, (laughs) and I I wonder if that's just me now. I'm sort of like, oh, I, I live in a sort of more chaos. I've allowed myself to more chaos in my process Um, rather than being really like rigidly stuck on a, you know, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm not sure it's (laughs) very, I just think I want to go back to the rigidity that helped (laughs) me. But um, yeah, I do use, I do always write things down. I think I've always, I did history at uni. I kind of, there's some part of me that likes putting pen to paper in a physical way to sort of help understand the the structure of things and the journey of stuff.
6: I also have no uh, art talent to speak of. So if you can send your friend over to me to help me out (laughs) as well. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I
4: will.
7: I mean, I haven't done much since, to be honest. It was, but I felt pretty good about myself when I was doing it. I was
6: like, well, I can draw, but <laughs> I haven't done much since. Do you keep all your workbooks that you've done for your character somewhere, or do you like chuck them away No, I do. Yeah. No, oh, I do. Fantastic. I them so I've got all like, these
7: random books everywhere. And, and what's good about it, actually, is that they're books, you know, you don't always fill a book. So the second half of the book is full of other just completely banal things, like what I was doing at the time, or you know, like notes or shopping lists. Or, or actually, that's quite fun. It's like full of all my stuff too, like kind of weird diary, you know, whatever.
6: I like that. You got you got to release that or watch that at some point. I want I want to read this. I want to read this.
1: I'm not sure they're that that's interesting.
6: <laughs> I'm really not. So Tom Burke is your co-star on this and he's fantastic. Uh, the chemistry that you guys have is amazing. Did you guys do anything off screen beforehand to make sure you were on the same page going into the film?
7: No, we had like two days of rehearsal. And I mean, I've known Tom for years and okay. I've always wanted to work with him. And we're, we're peers. We came out of drama school. We're both around the same time. And um, and uh, no, it's it's very interesting chemistry and how it works. and. I think it's always about trust and openness and curiosity and you know if you are connecting with something you want to use them as your play partner you find some actors don't want to act with you you know that they're, they're kind of happy to act with themselves whereas tom is acting with you and as soon as he came on to the set so we had a uh, four days of filming and then he was on the fifth day and that was the last day before we shut down for four months for COVID. But yeah, well. <laughs> when it came on, it was like, ah, oh, uh, last I found my play partner. Um, not at last, but it was the only person I had to, I hadn't acted opposite really anyone, you know, that I was having a proper relationship with. So suddenly I was like, oh, ah, uh, this, is, this is good. This is going to be good. I know now we've got a film because we can play and I can throw something at him. He throws something at me and I'll catch it and throw back. And like, it's just, that's what I do the job for is those interactions and that play and um, you know, being spontaneous and sort of surprising someone and seeing what they come back with. Um,
6: And that's joyful when you find that. I can imagine. I I like the fact that even though we're angered by him throughout the film, like some of the stuff that he said, I wanted to reach through the screen and thought of this guy, but he's not some moustache twirling idiot. There's a lot of complexity there and, and plays it really well.
7: Yeah. I mean, in the book, you know, he's, he's, In some ways, he's an object of her desire. No, he's, uh, he's called Blonde. We don't get to know him that well, but it was always really, and there could have been a route we went down, which was to cast someone much more stereotypical in a way of like good looking, boy from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, just in a way objectify him. But what Harry was very clear about and what she was very right about was that, you know, you have to believe in why she would be attracted to this guy. And you have to believe in some sort of connection between them. And why he is mysterious. And the way you do that is by really making him three dimensional and making him have his own vulnerabilities and insecurities. And his intimacy issues are as great as hers in some ways. So by doing that, you then understand why there's a frisson or why they would even be in each other's sphere. Um, And also why he constantly goes to her or, you know, but it's, I always think this film is really interesting because. You needed that in there, but really it's a self-actualization of Kate throughout. you know he is blonde is blonde, like at the end of the day, it's not really about them, it's about how she kind of uses that relationship to understand who she is. And even if she is seemingly like a a victim in a way, she seems quiet and shy and at the will of this man and his bad behavior. She's the one that's choosing to engage. She's the one that She gets his phone number, she pursues him and she's persistent and she's driven. Actually, she's really driven. She wants him. Mm -hmm. She'll do everything to get him uh, despite, you know, everyone's warnings. And then when she gets the moment of actually, actually, he's not quite right for me. She ends it. So even though she is seemingly without power, she actually drives the whole story.
6: One of the little things I love about uh, your performance of Kate that really draws us into her POV is that at various points you like half mutter stuff to yourself, which just feels like a really real, authentic thing that we all do. But I don't really see that often on screen. Where did the idea to do that come from? (laughs) That's me. (laughs) (laughs) That's
7: probably me. That's that's real me, right? So (laughs) I'm doing, I'm just about, I'm prepping a play at the moment. And it's a one woman show and it's a monologue and it's all on the phone. And it's basically this woman chatting to herself for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Me. This is like the worst part of me. awful. So, yeah, I think that I think it came from it comes from me. I do a lot of I sort of comment on myself or I comment on things. I I found myself doing actually another film that's about to come out. (laughs) See how they run, which is comedy. And I, I didn't realise I was even doing it. But I'd be sort of under my breath sort of saying stuff. And another actor's like, you do realise you're saying loads this stuff and I can you. <laughs> Oh, am I? Oh, no. Oops. Yeah, well, that's a character. Picked it as a character thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was sort of part me and part Harry. Sort of, You know, it's like, again, finding that's what I do. And that's like bringing a bit of that in there. <laughs>
6: There are a couple of really great soundtrack choices in this film, especially the one at the end with the dance, which I definitely want to ask about. But are you an actor who likes to make playlists for the characters you play?
7: I'm not. I'm not actually a big music person. I'm like, I wish I was. was like, you know, I found myself. <laughs> I'd be in the house talking to myself and no, <laughs> no music. I'm like, what? And then you put music on and you go, oh, this is so much better. Why well, don't I haven't put music on? <laughs> it's, not, it's not a go-to thing I think naturally about. And that's that's just probably the way I've been brought up or anything. But um, no, it's really interesting in this that, again, the music and the soundtrack all became about what's inside her head. It became almost Kate's movie in her own brain. And it was really essential to us to reflect her character in that music too. And whether it's in the choice of soundtrack we're using or it's actually in the composed music, It was like, how do we reflect who this person is? And I think like we had Alex Baranowski who came in and did the composition of the music. And he was amazing because it was also that fine line of composition for what the audience are watching versus actually what the character's feeling. And we realized every time we try to sort of emulate what the audience might be thinking in a moment, i.e., for example, when she goes and has sex in the car park, right? And it feels quite dangerous and dark and, oh, my God, no way, what are you doing? And the mm-hmm. audience are going, don't do this, Kate, don't do this. In her mind, she's having a great time and she's really excited. It is a bit dangerous, but it's also really exciting. So we wanted the music to reflect her feeling. And that conflict on the screen for the audience watching is quite interesting. So yeah. we kept having to sort of keep pulling back to what is Kate feeling in this moment and how do we reflect that in, in the way the camera moves uh, and in the music and the sound. And that final song was, yeah, I mean, it was, um, I'm actually, I'm a great fan of PJ and PJ Harvey. And um, on the day we had a track of hers at that track. And we also had uh, Paddy Smith, Horses. Um, And they were the two tracks that I just danced to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, I can dance to this. You know, I can dance to both (laughs) amazing ladies and I can let rip. And it was, we just got back from COVID the first time, and it was the first time I'd been in a group of people dancing. <laughs> and it felt really f- complete free expression. And there was no choreography in that. It was just like, just go crazy. Just do what you do. <laughs> and um, what we did on the day, we decided to have, because we've been doing all these sort of slightly dream like moments of what's real and what's not, mm. and this imagined world in our head. And we did on the day decide, okay, let's do it with a group of people and that's also shoot it without. And that's what we have at the end is we have both those moments that in a way, again, it's about getting inside her head. When you're in those moments of dancing, you don't feel like anyone else is in the room with you. And so we wanted to kind of splice between the two realities or her, her sort of inside internal mind and the reality of where she was.
0: Okay, so that was Ruth Wilson, and we will be talking about true things in just a few seconds, folks, because now it is time for the reviews section of the show, in which we talk about the movies that you can see at your multiplex or on your sofaplex this weekend. There is only one place to start. I think so. And that is with a new Marvel legend. Morbius Don't say that Don't. I, I'm <laughs> you
6: just te- quoting the you poster You take I'm that phrase out of your
3: fucking mouth
0: <laughs> Honestly
3: It offends me on such a level the way they've leaned so heavily it says, Hey it's the latest but
1: fuck off it is not Sorry I mean, It is
0: So this is Kevin Feige does not present Morbius <laughs> and uh, this is uh, directed by Daniel Espinosa It stars of course Jared Leto Matt Smith Adria Arjona Jared Harris Tyrese Gibson and a fuckload of focus group feedback so <laughs> who wants to take Morbius
1: well I'm sure it's the only one James has seen so.
3: hey hey I mean that's a fair comment but it actually isn't true in this case but uh, oh god where to even start with this load of shit right okay uh, let's try and be objective about this and let's oh, just sorry, talk
0: about sorry can thing. I just break down that sentence
4: <laughs> for, for, for a, just,
0: just for a second where to start with this load of shit, (laughs) less trying to be objective about this, was your very next sentence. Okay, look,
3: as has been suggested, Morbius was just too much film for us when it was originally due to come out. So they had to wait until we as a society were ready to accept this modern masterpiece of cinema in which Jared Leto starts as Dr. Michael Morbius, a man with an unspecified blood condition, who is also the world's leading expert in blood conditions and has invented blue goo as artificial blood. He goes and catches a lot of vampire bats and then takes their spunk (laughs) and uh, injects it into his veins and turns himself into a vampire. And, uh, spoiler, Matt Smith kind of does the same thing and they don't get along. And that's basically the film. But... That's actually the film. (laughs) That's basically the film. film. And Um, scene. (laughs) It is a film which, and I count, has one joke in it one you, you count or you count, I count the joke the one two no one one vampire yes it has one joke in it and it's delivered so humorously i'm not sure anyone performing it and realized it was a joke this is the most humorless film i think i've ever seen it's so you've seen dune and i've seen dune which (laughs) had at least one joke in it. eight jokes i counted remember eight jokes (laughs) (laughs) eight more than this well seven more um it has a venom joke in this it doesn't land on any level i don't even know where to start with this so it's it's i mean you're five minutes in it's incoherent the cgi is very very dodgy Mm. the plot doesn't make sense because there's no consistency in the internal narrative. The character motivations are all over the fucking shop to the extent where by the end of it, I just don't know why some characters did the things they did. And I'm not sure the filmmakers knew either. And the humorlessness and just the way it's structured feels like this is a film made in the early nineties. It feels like Mm. 30 years of comic book movies have passed them by and they have not noticed. And look, we all knew this wasn't going to be a good film because we've seen the trailers. but it just it infuriated me. But all the way through, I could have forgiven it because the camera, at no point does the camera fall over. Jared Leto, while he is incredibly humorous, does a passable performance. It's actually quite a restrained performance going by his recent roles, you know, when doing stuff in like We Crashed or or um, uh, House of Gucci, you know, it feels quite reined in. And Matt Smith is, I don't know what Matt Smith is doing. The less said about it, the better. But the thing is, all of that, all of that I could forgive. I can forgive ineptitude. It's it's, and. I'm going to just say it. Like they, they try. They have retconned this film. The studio has gone to this film and said, "Right, Spider-Man: No Way Home made all the money in the world, and I now need this film to make all the money in the world." So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to this film, which was I think I'm right in saying made before Spider-Man, right? Because it's been sitting on the I shelf. Think it was now made before, before the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. <laughs> yes, quite. and we're gonna insert spider man stuff in here to just tie it into that film in a way that makes so little sense and doesn't work and is so obviously cut together from shit they had lying on the editing room floor. They have just taken bits and tried to assemble it. it's like a ransom note of sequences where they've just cut together bits of Jared Leto talking to try and make it relate to the MCU. And it is desperate. It is insulting. It is just cringeworthy. It's just the most awful thing that I just wanted to get up and slap screen. I genuinely did. I was so I was so offended by how cynical that that spunk was. The fact that they just got spunk everywhere and it was just visually
1: confusing oh, as god. well. Oh god. Yes, just, wasn't it? I mean just... like so you know when he is in vampire mode and the design I don't love the design. I'm sorry. It's sub buffy. Mm-hmm. Um when they go into the sort of the vampire mode then everything goes a bit dementor and they have like coloured streaks coming off everything and sometimes that's meant to represent echolocation which could be visually cool except that sometimes it clearly isn't and I'm not sure what it does represent and no one ever explains it to me and again I don't need everything handed to me on a platter but it would be nice if your story was visually and and narratively coherent enough that I can pick up the pieces myself and put them together you know And, and that was not the case here i didn't hate it but it it felt incredibly retro it felt like 1996 kind of superhero movie do you
3: think they used any prosthetics because i felt like every morbius shot was an effect shot like every single one without any it felt like they didn't attempt to do any kind of prosthetic i
1: mean maybe in the first transformation there might have been some but i i got the same impression and you know i didn't i didn't think it always did them right you know um it's horrible it was it was very strange there were plot holes and but and that's fine like we all have plot holes in superhero movies but they they felt glaring here you you had characters acting in very strange ways um i really didn't hate it and i liked leto a lot more than i usually do i thought he actually made morbius quite sympathetic and charming in the first half of the film um but the second half was just a mess. And I think also, I mean, I think even Matt Smith is, is trying something. I think there's, you know, choices have been made there, not all of which are bad choices. Like, it's a little detailed, but his character has uh, trainers that he wears because he, like Morbius, has been sick all his life. Yeah. And, you know, obviously he's prioritizing comfort and, and movability rather than maybe style. And he keeps those trainers even after he's kind of, quote unquote, cured and is you know being a, a man about town and everything and and i felt i felt like that was a deliberate character choice that they've, they've been trying they've, they're trying to say something there they're trying to do something but nothing else in the film is supporting that kind of choice. Nothing I want that else. poster quote,
3: by the way. Good use of trainers, Helen O'Hara.
1: <laughs> no, but I'm not saying it. I'm, but I'm saying like at least he's trying yeah. something. yeah, no, yeah I see what That's you're saying. definitely mm. the kind of mm. thing that an actor has gone in and tried to do something with this character, tried to give this character some internal coherence, some a little maybe bit of pathos there that otherwise the, the script absolutely doesn't give him. And, and you know, I, I find it frustrating.
3: Did the spunk not upset you, though? Like, did it not upset you on a oh, visual level? look, I'm
1: not even going to get into the. Uh, the there, there are two mid-credit stings. They're both bad. They're straight up bad. I'm not making any excuses <laughs> an for either of those.
0: They're, um, they're nonsensical. Yeah, um, they, they don't make, make any sense. Gibberish. Literally no yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, so I suspect that those things have been. I think. I think they've been cobbled together. There somehow.
3: is zero chance they have not been cobbled together. There is zero chance that some suit came down and said this has to happen. What footage have you got that we can just? Strip out and turn into this shit. Mm. There is no chance that didn't happen. Just based on pure chronology, there is no mm. chance that mm. didn't happen.
1: It's, uh, but like I didn't, like I didn't hate it. I actually probably liked I. it more than Venom, I. which is see, again not a, not a high bar. Um, but but also I, I, it was one of those films where you know the, okay, all superhero physics are nonsense, mm. and we genuinely enjoy picking apart superhero physics quite often. And we do, we do love nitpicking. You know this about all hmm. of us. Um, but but here the, the science, and I want to put really heavy quote marks around that, is very hand-wavy. And, you know, why would he have all of these powers that vampire bats absolutely do not personally have? You know, mm-hmm. it was... So you kind of, when you lose the mystical element, you also lose the thing that makes it make sense because it doesn't make sense. No. It just doesn't. So, you know... And I know again that is comic faithful. I'm not saying it's not comic faithful, but you know sometimes you have to change things to make them work on screen, and and mm.
2: and there are these, these <laughs> sort of these weird things. There's there's one of the weirdest things that struck out to me was uh, you have Tyrese Gibson and Al Madrigal as these FBI agents oh. who are the least charactery character people in the film because they have no character. They're yeah. just FBI agents, and they occasionally Al Madrigal occasionally makes a dry jokey type comment. The weirdest thing for me is when they go to Dr. Martin's apartment when they're trying to find her and they're trying to just track down this thing. This is his love interest slash partner. Yeah, Al Madrigal's character picks up the cat litter tray and shakes it and goes, here, kitty, kitty. What was that? Has anyone ever summoned a cat? A, summoned a cat. B, <laughs> summoned a cat by shaking, shaking the litter, litter tray. tray. And then he goes, a, oh, the cat's gone. That's mate, a very good point. I Why would it time, come for the litter tray? It's, it's not food. Yes. And, and then he, he makes the assumption, oh, the cat's gone. Oh, is, is it the cat gone? okay
3: because they the were saying I'm a gag that? I thought Torres was coming dude why are you shaking the litter yeah. try? and they nope, just rolled. The it thing. I,
0: I think I think that well oh,
3: there's also, so much the we way, should <laughs> talk, but
1: do- Dr. Martin is, is ill served I would say ill served oh, so. but
0: then so are Tyrese and Amadrigal who I think performed a or served a different function hmm. in the original cut yeah. of this let's put it this way I would like to see Daniel Espinosa's original cut of this movie because I do not think it bears any resemblance to what we are saying and it's it's such a shame because I actually don't mind it. I am I I I'm a little bit in Helen's boat here. I think it's better than certainly the first Venom, but you know we're, it's such a low bar. And for me, the Spunk universe is just not working right now. These desperate. And cynical attempts to mm-hmm. conjure up a Spider-Man universe of movies without Spider-Man just are not working. Mm. I still hope that *Craven the Hunter*, which has an excellent cast, but then so does this, and so do the Venom movies.
4: Yeah.
0: But it has an excellent director in J.C. Chandor, mm-hmm. is going to be good. I have less optimism about *Madam Web*. Again, good cast so far, but written by the same guys who wrote this movie. Uh,
3: well, r- wrote what originally existed of the script of this movie. What it actually is, as you say,
0: it probably bears no relation to that. So, A good point. A very, very good point. Matt Susama and Burke Sharpless uh, are the writers who are credited with this uh, movie and clearly, they, you know, have done a good enough job to bag the Madam Web uh, gig as well. But previously, they have been credited with... This is astonishing. Dracula Untold, The Last Witch Hunter... <laughs> Gods of Egypt <laughs> and they have a story credit on Power Rangers. Wow. Now clearly they're good in the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean the problem, you know, I, I'm never you know I'm never comfortable blaming the writers because there are never so, comfortable blaming the writers. so many so yes. many things that can go wrong after yeah. they point. hand in yeah. a script. Yeah. Yeah. They could have had it in great scripts or all those movies that got them greenlit with ma- in many unlikely. cases big star- <laughs> big stars and then everything went to shit.
0: This is true. Very, very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um
1: Yeah, it's not a great track record on paper. Sure. Yeah.
0: They'll get one right one day. Keep (laughs) plugging away, guys. Keep plugging away. Having said that, I thought the first 10, 15 minutes of this, I was, because I I went in with a little bit of heavy heart because I, you know, we were not excited about this movie. The trailers did not look good. They did not look encouraging. And I sat down and I watched it and I was like, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes, it's just actually solid. It's solid. But that's as good as it ever gets. Mm. Solid. And then it becomes nonsensical and it cuts far too many storytelling corners. And I did like Jared Leto. I did. And he's like, he's become Twitter's punching bag over the last few years. Uh, But I I like him as an actor. He goes for broke and he goes for broke here. God knows what he was sending his his castmates. But, you know, he's fun. He's not just fun, but he gives Morbius a soul, which is... More than I was expecting, quite frankly, and I'm more interested in that character, I think, than the film is, which is a bit sad, really. Mm. Uh, we gave it two stars. Uh, I really wish that we were able to give it more than that. But, <laughs> but, Had it been better, yes. but yeah, but sadly, the film yes, isn't. But isn't it's been
3: delayed bad. for a long time. But dread it, run from it. Morbius <laughs> arrives, yeah. all the same.
0: But again, they'll get one of these right one day. It may be long after we're all dead. <laughs> but <laughs> well, certainly, they will get one of these right one day. Uh, all right, so two stars in for Morbius. Let's do True Things next. Blanco, set us up about True Things. What's this about?
2: Yeah, uh, True Things, uh, which is directed by uh, uh, Harry Woodliffe, uh, who was the director of uh, Only You previously. This is the story of Kate, played by Ruth Wilson, the uh, always pretty wonderful Ruth Wilson. Uh, in this case, Kate is a woman who works in a benefits office in Kent. She pretty much hates her job. She's lacking Mostly an ambition, at least in her career, but not in her life. I really think she wants more from her life. She uh, meets a guy through her job, uh, played by Tom Burke, who we only really know as Blonde. Uh, he does have a name, I think, at some point. But no, 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 he's really is, That's, the, oh, only he's blonde that's the only
1: name the film gives Right. On, yeah. So, uh,
2: yeah, we meet this guy. He is charming and he is sexy to her. And so basically she starts a relationship with him. There is a, uh, there's, there's car park sex, there's little trips, there's skinny dipping. There is, there is fun. But ultimately she starts to realize that, to be honest, this guy, kind of a bellend. He uh, starts stealing things. He just gives her the cold shoulder. The relationship is incredibly one-sided for most of it. And hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's very much sort of like a straight down the line average kind of drama it's 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 a drama that wants to look at things it wants to look at sort of how women are treated in relationships how men can act in relationships but honestly the big problem with it is it doesn't really have an awful lot that is fresh to say about Mm -hmm. either subject or indeed anything ruth wilson is as i've said pretty darn good because she's ruth wilson And she couldn't elevate anything. It's just it really feels like she has an awful lot of heavy lifting to do here. Tom Burke is perfectly fine. You've got characters like her parents who are always putting a little bit of pressure on her, a little bit disappointed. She's got a passive-aggressive best friend who seems to be doing the normal life thing with the husband and the kids and the this and the that. Honestly, it's just not as compelling maybe as it could have been, which is Mm. really disappointing given the star and given the potential. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's it's a you know, really, really good um people involved, but it just never quite has that extra little piece of magic. Um and and very good performances. And and there is, you know, there is a place for this kind of portrayal of the grind and the misery of kind of that life you know we've all at least had periods in our life where we've been stuck in the job that is not satisfying that is not fulfilling that is I mean, oh god I feel out. so seen <laughs> <laughs> you know where you are and you do feel like I'm just grinding along and nothing is changing and nothing is getting better and everybody else is doing oh better god, than me I feel and, so
4: seen.
1: <laughs> you know why why aren't these magical things happening to me like it's it is very relatable but it doesn't get any further than that really it doesn't so, go anywhere Yeah, I,
3: no, I, was really, I I think she played it beautifully and there are mm. some lovely scenes just there's a bit where it sounds really the tragedy in the sadness of when she's making toast one morning there's just mm. something about yeah. her making toast that one scene I was like oh god you're killing me here and she really sells that sense of just desperation mm. that she it's not just she's miserable in her job she's miserable in her life and then she finds this guy who is exciting he's forbidden fruit because it's a sackable offence to obviously date a claimant and she feels seen, she feels attractive, she feels all of these things, and she is so needy and that she desperately wants this to be real. And he's a shit, because of course he's a shit. And, and he explores all those kind of various bits, like he's manipulative, he gaslights her, he's just blows hot and cold, he's just a horrible, horrible man. Uh, but she wants him to be something that he isn't. And because she, that's
1: what she needs. Because now. that's what
3: yeah. she needs in that moment, and he's just an absolute. And I
1: think shift. that's that's probably true of him as well. I think he needs her to be, you know, cool and and cool sexual girl. and yeah, mm. and and there when he wants her and not when he doesn't. And you know, it, and it is that clash of of needs and desires. I don't think he's a caricature in that way. Like I feel like they've captured a realistic oh, kind of oh, human, you know? I think
3: that was almost the most depressing part is he was all too believable. Yeah. yeah. Um. But he was still a shit.
1: Yeah, he, he kind of is. Yeah. So anyway, so so good performances, but just not a film that's going to stick maybe in our minds
0: No. For so we gave this one three stars. Three stars then for True Things. Uh, a couple of other films out this week, uh, not to do what the Academy did and completely overlook animation, but there are two big animated movies this week that kids will enjoy and adults will endure. Uh, okay. One of them is Sonic the Hedgehog 2.
1: The, the first film was actually... You know, kind of okay in the end after they redesigned Sonic entirely.
0: Oh, do you remember that original
1: yeah. look at Sonic? Yeah, terrifying. Fuck me, that yeah. was
3: horrifying. But
1: you know, it was basically a cute car- uh, comedy character playing off James Marsden, so yeah. that's always good. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, this one is more of that, only with added Idris Elba. Uh, but we gave it two stars. Okay. Oh. So. Well, show. Yeah. Uh, And the other film out this week is The Bad Guys which Mm. is a movie about uh, some criminals animals of course course. who decide to become uh, good or try to become good and yeah. things go hardly wrong
1: so they're the ones who have always been traditionally seen as the bad guys so you've got Mr. Wolf who's voiced by Sam Rockwell you've got like Tarantula voiced by Aquafina. you know they're a really close-knit group they love each other um, but they just do heists because everybody else hates them and they're like well we may as well lean into this but um, in order to score what they see as the biggest heist of their career they have to they think pretend to go good and then they are tempted by the good lifestyle <gasps> Anyway, it's very Zootropolis, but it is not without charm. I thought I quite liked this one.
0: Three stars down for the bad guys. And finishing off this week, it's time for Helen to do a deep dive into the bubble. Hells Bells, tell us about the bubble, which is the new Judd Apatow, I believe.
1: Yes, and the story in this one is that a cast uh, assemble, or in most cases reassemble, to make Cliff Beasts 6 mm-hmm. Um, the latest in the popular Cliff Beasts saga. uh, Rejoining the cast after sitting out Cliff Beast 5 is Carol Cobb, played by Karen Gillan. And uh, returning are the likes of Leslie Mann, David Duchovny, um, uh, Keegan-Michael Key. You've got um, new people like Pedro Pascal joining the cast. And uh, over it all, you have a neurotic first-time director or at least first-time big-budget director played by Fred Armisen. And um, you have uh, Peter Serafinovich as the uh, stressed-out producer who is trying to get all of these people safely to England, safely quarantined, through quarantine, through the shoot and out the other side. Uh, Things go, of course, wrong fairly frequently (laughs) with occasionally um, life-threatening results. There are lots of very talented people in mm-hmm. this cast, mm-hmm. there are lots of quite funny situations. Um, as is traditional with a Judd Apatow movie, it is at least thirty minutes too long, and I would argue for forty minutes too long in this case.
0: This is forty minutes too long.
1: Absolutely, this at is, least this is forty minutes too long. <laughs> uh, sorry, I and
0: that not. movie was forty minutes too long.
1: Yeah, well. that, I mean, uh, so many of them are. I just, I, I, I really felt like it was. There, there are some jokes in here. There's some obviously very relatable stuff about being in quarantine and, and the tedium and the boredom and not being able to do things that you would normally like to do. Okay, but then you also need more jokes and you need more to justify your running time. And I find myself quite frustrated at the pacing of this which I find at times kind of leaden. And and there are funny moments where it goes into the film of Cliff B6 and you get to see the ludicrous nonsense that they're making and, and the contrast between that and their pampered lives in this in this otherwise closed hotel. There, there's some fun to be had there. It's not awful, but I just thought it was a bit of a waste of everyone's talent.
2: Yeah, it, it's awfully sort of vignette It feels like a load of sketch moments sort of sewn together mm-hmm. to try and make a loose narrative and there are some people who are very good at that sort of stuff and then you've got jokes that maybe just they should have thought about and cut out like maybe the tiktok dinosaur stuff and everything which is not as funny as anyone really thinks it is um there were a few things i did like like um there's a there's a guy who's not been in a lot before but uh harry harry Travaldwin, who yeah, plays Gunther, who is one of the sort of set PA sort of people recruited to help marshal these egomaniacs. And he is, I thought, really funny. He came up with some good stuff. There's a great Benedict Cumberbatch joke with him. I loved his little moment where he's saying, well, obviously, you know, touching on the set is is uh, uh, out of bounds. So you can you can make eyes at each other and you can do it like this. And obviously, I'm sorry, this is a visual joke, so I can't really do it. But I thought it was funny. I thought his acting in that moment was very funny. Now do Morbius flying through the city.
1: <laughs> Now do Barry entering the speed force. <laughs> yes. Well, no, easy now.
2: <laughs> Good evening. Uh, but it's, yeah, and, and it just felt, also it felt like, oh, look, it's a Hollywood satire and the actors are egomaniacs and the producers are stressed and Kate McKinnon is a crazy Hollywood executive studio boss that shouts at people over video links and it felt very much like, oh, we've seen Tropic Thunder. Mm. Let's let's do something like that, but nowhere near as inventive or good yeah honestly and it felt like tropic thunder america's sweethearts any number of films like that where you've seen people be (laughs) crazy actors being crazy actor people and their demands and their whatever the pandemic angle gives it a little extra makes it slightly different there's a there's a whole running thing about some of them get influenza and it's the good virus but even then they're still sick and they're throwing up everywhere and it's just it's just you know, given the people involved, maybe you expect better mm-hmm. and you don't honestly get it all that much except for a few bright sparks.
0: I have not thought about America's Sweethearts since that movie came out.
1: Oh, no, there's some good stuff in that movie.
0: I remember being really excited about that film. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Look at the cast. The cast is amazing. And then it came out. and
1: uh, it's, There's some fun bits. Yeah. With yeah. Hank Azaria being all like um, desperate and, you know, wandering around in trunks mm-hmm. being the supposedly hot boyfriend of... Um, Catherine zeta joness character. That but was funny. There's
0: a much better Haikasario wandering around in Trunks movie.
1: I know.
4: The Birdcage. Bird yes, I was just checking. <laughs> Do you know
1: I went to the hotel where they filmed The Birdcage recently and they have a big mural on the wall that says The Birdcage um, because they're very proud of it. And you can get The Birdcage. It's on the menus in the restaurant out front. You can sit under a under a palm tree and under an umbrella.
0: They filmed the birdcage in the Galactic Star Cruiser.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you remember after you flew home and I decided to just, you know, bum around Florida for a few days enjoying the sunshine? I do remember that, actually. Yeah, so yeah. I went down to Miami and hung around South Beach. But anyway,
0: this was uh, the review of The Bubble, of course, and we gave The Bubble three stars. Three stars then for Judd Apatow's The Bubble. A decent addition to Judd Apatown. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... No idea.
1: Okay. So I that's think, an exciting, fun thing for us.
0: I think Eddie Marsan.
1: That's cool. We like him. We like him. We like He's Eddie good. Marsan. Yeah. yeah.
0: But we'll find out. We'll find out when I'm interviewing them. So this could be <laughs> very well, exciting. You've got a
3: better guest than uh, we had on the Pilot TV Podcast.
0: Who do you have on the Pilot TV you. Podcast? Well it doesn't get any bit like that, does no, it?
3: No, no, yeah. clearly not. So once you finish this podcast, do queue up the well it draws on Tuesday, she so can't queue up now. She's probably listening on Friday. Anyway, on Tuesday and we review Moon Knight oh, and no. Chris, Chris Hewitt. Yeah, no, he came in and just we review Moon Knight, Chris comes in and he helps us because we can't tell the difference between the Empire podcast and, and pilot. pilot tv yeah podcast. you can yeah. i'm
1: not on pilot that's how you know <laughs> we're back
3: here again uh well yes yeah, so so yes please please listen to pilot when it drops on tuesday to hear more more of that
0: just it it feel of, like we're trapped in a circle a never yeah. ending ever decreasing Purgatory. circle it feels a little bit like that yeah guys can you tell the difference between your waking life and dreams
1: mm. My dreams are better than this. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Less grey. This is my
0: dream. I do dream about you guys, actually. Oh, boy. Yeah.
1: Shouldn't do so much editing late at night while eating cheese.
0: Definition of a red flag. (laughs) Chris enters the pod force. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, there we go. That is it for this week's Emperor podcast. Uh, Join us next week. Oh, I've done a bit. Um, anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion. Uh, Blanca,
2: Blanca, we may never meet again. We, Wh- we may. Will. Never I, I we will. I hope.
1: Again. Oh my god! What, what are you
2: saying? I my my flight should be fine and everything. I and I'd I'd like to come back again and hopefully not, you know, the two year gap this time. Amen. Please. That's up to you. It's up to
0: you. Anytime you're here, you're welcome on the podcast. You know that. Thank you. Yes, I I will make every effort to be back here as soon as I can. All right, good. Don't you go dying on me now. Uh, Goodbye, Helen. Toodle. Goodbye, James. Oh, God. Goodbye. Goodbye, Blanco. Goodbye. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to take my life in my hands by singing Shallow from A Star Is Born right next to Ezra Miller. Oh. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.